Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Okay, guys, um, so this isn't a fun addendum we're putting on the front of the pod here but eric do you want to just acknowledge what has occurred yeah we're recording this on sunday evening la time and we just got word uh over the last hour or so a couple hours that former mr basketball from 1979 in the state of indiana three-time big 10 champion and part of the 1981 national championship team Steve Bushi has passed away after complications resulting after a heart attack earlier in the week. Um, you know, the Hoosier family is a family, and it's why we do this podcast to connect us to the program, us to you guys who listen, and all of us to various players from different eras who have built this thing that we all love. So we are one big family, and now a specific family part of the the greater family is hurting because of the passing of Steve Bushi and we just wanted to acknowledge it send our thoughts to his family hopefully his family can take solace in knowing that there's an entire nation of Hoosier fans who are are sending their thoughts and their hearts to to the family and to all of his teammates who were in the trenches with him really sad way too young way too early and we just wanted to acknowledge what Steve did for the IU family. Living the life he did and the career he had both as a high school and a college player in the state of Indiana, uh, Steve Bushi's memory and, and what he accomplished will live on. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Here we go again, Eric. It's time for yet another podcast of Hoosier Hysterics. That's the podcast we're doing now where we start off by talking to each other and then it gets interesting. That's exactly right. This is the uninteresting part of the podcast. This is the part of the podcast, however, where we do tell people that it would be impossible to do the podcast if we were not powered by Eek. 
Was that all in one breath? Yeah, one breath. That is, I now mean, I know now I know why you finally got into IU Sing. <laughs> that is some serious diaphragm work you got going there. Yeah, you just uh, when you got a gift, you want to share it. Yeah, yeah, not 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 that many other other people want you to share it. <laughs> no one, no. Although I did see one tweet recently where he's like, "The siren thing makes me laugh," and that tweet got zero likes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right listen we got a long one today we just we just recorded it a few hours ago yep it is an exciting one uh here's what i will just tell people because it's a long one i think you should either go into your cabinet right now and grab a piece of iu history and if you don't have it you may want to wait on this one go to collegegradshop.com forward slash hysterics and buy your ass a little piece of Hoosier history. Fill that bitch up with some beverage, kick back, and listen to one of the most honest, entertaining, engaging humans that you will ever listen to. We've gotten a couple of previews, a couple appetizers of this gentleman we were fortunate enough to have him ask us to to broadcast a e-gaming tournament event for him uh that led to the the 2012-13 kind of reunion in which we got we got a little more uh sample of the goods and then we went in for the full seven course meal it was gourmet this guy is as fun to talk to as anybody we've had on the show uh, again, we are in COVID times, so everybody is kind of displaced. Our guest today is not in his normal home. He was outside for part of it, so you may hear some wind distortion. We apologize for the quality. It does, I think, get much better in the back half, and, and then it's pretty solid, but it's worth it to bear through any technical difficulties because this dude is the best and as a special surprise at the end, he may or may not be the first public endorsement of our campaign to get me elected to the board of trustees. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. He may have said no. He may have said, are you out of your mind? You're gonna defile the university that I love. But he also may have said, why not? Like, we just don't know. We just don't know. That's why you have to listen to see what happens. We'll see how the conversation goes. Uh that very well may influence how he decides to cast his vote in this, this crucial, pivotal time in Indiana University history. I also just want to update people that at this point in time, no one has disqualified me from the idea of running yet. Early days, early days. <laughs> <laughs> so much time, so much time. But uh, more announcements on that to come in the future weeks. But we are full steam ahead with it. Well, let's, let's go full steam ahead with this episode because it's great and it's long. So less of us, more of him. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you know what time it is. It's time to talk to one of our favorite Hoosiers. So Eric, why don't you break it down? Let them know who we're talking to today. Before I get into, uh, you know, lavishing him with praise, I will say, he is our single most requested guest since we started this. More people on Twitter and Peegs have hit us up saying you gotta talk to this man because we love him so much. 
So today is the day. And today we are talking to a gentleman who hails from Stewart, Florida. He starred at Sagemont High School, where he was class 2A second team All-State, nominated for the McDonald's High School All-American game. He was the 2013 Big Ten Sixth Man of the Year, the first Indiana Hoosier to ever win that award. He holds the Indiana record for best single game performance when it comes to field goal percentage when he went nine for nine against who else? Turdu, which we will get into because this dude, when it came to playing Turdu, tore it up almost all the time. He is a Big Ten champion. He is 2014 Big Ten honorable mention. He won the Big Ten All Sportsmanship Award, which we definitely have to get into because I <laughs> never would have thought that that was remotely possible. He was... Uh, elected to the Reese's D1 All-Star Game. He was a member of the U.S. World University Games team heading into his senior year, which, by the way, only 10 players in the history of Indiana University have had that honor. He finished his career and is now 41st all-time in scoring with 1,120 points. He is 10th all-time at Indiana University in games played with 130 games played. He simply is the embodiment of everything we want in an Indiana University player, passion, emotion, intensity, trash talking. He is our guy. Welcome to the podcast, Will Sheehy. What's up, boys? Man, I wish I had you guys both uh, around me when I was single, just like bring you to the bar first. You say all that good stuff. And it's pretty much a, a layup after that. That's exactly uh, right. Yeah, so maybe maybe my next job interview. We could just have you guys do it for me. We're just behind you in the job interview. That no, was very nice. Of you guys say all that. I don't even know. I don't even know about half that stuff. I won the sportsmanship award. That seems like they just like that was like a sympathy uh, gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the one when I was doing a little bit of the research. When I came up on that one, I was like, "Do they really mean Will? Like, will she? He won yeah. the sportsmanship what, award. What? What year? What year? What year did you say that was? I think that was your senior year. Oh, so, oh, that's what happened. They were like, man, we feel bad for this kid. He had a bad season. He should have won something else. Let's just give him this. It's a nice, <laughs> a nice, little, nice little trophy for him to, to go away with. When, when I was in high school, I played basketball for my high school team, and I was not very good. And there was an award. You know, you know how every high school, right, does like an awards banquet for your, your team, right? So we did one. I was a senior. There was an award called the Mac and Jeanette Brown Sportsmanship Award which was worse than your sportsmanship award for this reason. It only went to Jewish people. <laughs> <laughs> so many years, they didn't give the award out. <laughs> They're like, we got a Jew. We got nothing else to give him. Let's give him the award. So I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Very good feeling. Yeah. By the way, my high school took down that plaque. You can't, there's no record of it even anymore. There's nothing. Oh, that's too bad. Ward, Will. What's up? Will, where are you at? Tell us what's what's going on in these crazy times. You're in a different location than the last couple of times we spoke. Yeah, I'm in uh, Newport, Rhode Island right now. Um, nice little summer beach town. Got out of the city for a little bit. Um, yeah, just hanging out here. You know, obviously bored as hell. I'm talking to you guys, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, desperate times. And what, right. what besides besides uh, spending a little time with your pals, the hysterics, what is your day-to-day -day life uh, this summer, sort of post-basketball? Give us a little uh, personal, professional uh, sum up of where you're at right now. 
Yeah, yeah. Basketball ended for me um, a couple months ago. Um, my wife lives in New York City, um, has a great job doing her thing there. So I was just kind of looking uh, at the job market if you're in New York and work for a software company. Um, it's marketing. And uh, yeah, man, just just grinding work life. You guys know how it is. Nothing, not, nothing glorious about, about that. No, there isn't, which is what I, I honestly wanted to talk to you about. The transition from being a full-time athlete and, and a professional athlete to then getting into, you know, the nine-to-five world a little bit, what has that transition been like for you? Has it been difficult to kind of give up that competitive intensity and transition it into this very different world? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say, like, the biggest thing is just the um, the difference of, like, culture and atmosphere, you know, and sports teams um, – you know, you're, you're around the people and just like, I guess it's different for me too, because I started during COVID. So I've actually never even seen any of my coworkers like in person. So, <laughs> um, so there's that too, but there's just like, I don't know. I would say like, I just miss uh, being around the guys, you know, being around the, the team atmosphere and things like that. Um, you know, just working at my, my desk in my house every day and just on the computer, it's just a different kind of isolated feeling, I guess that would be like the biggest transition for me. Um, but I'm also complaining. My life is great. <laughs> one of, Will, and you know this, and we will get into it because I want to know where it came from, but obviously one of the things that endeared you to Indiana fans and continues to was your just insane competitiveness that we could see on the court, the intensity, how much you wanted to win, how much you wanted to beat the other team. Uh, it's why people fell in love with you beyond just being a great basketball player. But when that like spigot gets turned off, which it is now for you, is there an outlet for you to, to get that competitive drive going? Are there things you're doing outside of work that, that help you kind of scratch that itch? Uh, beer. Uh, <laughs> beer's good. Beer's help. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you just got to kind of channel it somewhere else. If it's just like, you know, my, my wife and I compete a lot with like, dumb shit now so there's like a lot of that going on um i don't know i mean i just try to keep it within my job as well you know i try to compete i'm in sales so um you know it's obviously a competitive environment as well so i just try to do the best i can at that but um but yeah man i i don't know i'm just it's just like i got a screw loose up top so certain things i just like can't help and hold back it's just like i just see red um and like i've gone to some therapy about it and stuff to be honest with you like I kind of joke about it, but it's true. Like sometimes I just like, um, and basketball was great. And I, I, you, at IU it was great. Cause it's like what our team needed. But if there was like two of me on the team, like one of us would have died. So. <laughs> <laughs> Will, I, I feel you on that. Uh, as a, a not good athlete, I did play, I did play tennis in high school. When you're five, two going into your freshman year, you look for alternatives to basketball. So tennis was mine. And I would attract the biggest crowds, not because I was good, but because of how mad I would get. It was like our one seed would just be crushing the competition. So they'd come see me lose and lose my mind. But we, we, we've touched on this before, but as somebody who also sees red uh, throughout my life, you know what's helped me in the last six or seven months? Here? CBD. CBD. Yeah. CBD. And, and no, Eric, we're not talking about smoking weed. Whoa, 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 whoa. Weed. Yeah, that's just for fun. Now, I'm talking oh. therapeutic now. 
Yeah, medicinal, of course. Yeah. Have you ever done the CBD tincture? Have I, have I smoked weed? Yes. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that I knew the answer to. <laughs> CBD, yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting you bring that up. Um, yeah, I definitely tried CBD as well. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, I think, you know, when you're playing basketball, you can't, you can't take any type of, um, like, anything that even is, like, derives from weed at all. So it has to be um, cleared through drug testing regulations and all this stuff. So I actually as a player unfortunately i never got to reap the benefits of like the creams and the supplements and things like that but now after basketball i'm definitely like diving more into all of that especially as things in the united states are kind of like obviously cb is legal but even kind of dabbling more into um, marijuana in general so i definitely think there's some benefits behind marijuana and you know all parts of it um so it's it's interesting that you brought that up i definitely think there's a movement toward that and, I, and i'm on it yeah, no, I just feel like it's good to to talk about, particularly with the, the CBD aspect, so it doesn't get lumped in with, you know, us, all those stoners are just talking about being stoned. It's like, no, this is something that just kind of takes takes that edge off, which can be very helpful in, in athletics and competitive sports. But in real life, you don't want to go around feeling like you're going to snap for no good reason. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely on the border of snapping um, most of my day. So, yeah, I definitely feel you on that. I'm about to snap on you guys right now. <laughs> uh, back to the competitive thing. So you said you and your wife compete. Are you a guy that, like, if you're playing cards with your wife, you have to win? Well, I don't lose. So, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I don't really know. I don't know that feeling because she's never beaten me in anything. Um, so I'm still waiting to find the game that she's actually better than me at. So we're, 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 we're finding it. Um, but I, I definitely – I think part of the problem is that I enjoy crushing – the person like to a point where like it's not even fun for them to like play the game again with me um you know like it just gets to that point like my i have a younger brother he's two years younger than me um was a great athlete and never played any sports because i just would make sure that i he knew that i was better than him at every single sport that he even tried and that he would never ever ever be better than me at any sport that he tried um and I feel I to this day feel bad because I feel like I like hindered his progress as an athlete. Um, but can't, that's again part of it. I can't wait for you to release uh, your book on sibling and uh, marital relationship advice. I think that both of <laughs> yeah. those would be really good to read. A good good read. Yeah, I feel like this is a good natural segue to get into your childhood where you had a father who was a very good basketball player. You had an uncle who was a very good basketball player. Did, did they like put the ball in your hands when you were in the crib and just, here we go, this is your destiny type of thing? Or did they let you kind of find it on your own? Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my, my father and uncle were definitely very good players. And, you know, whenever you go around your family events, my, my family is like, you know, some people are like surfers families, some people are fishermen families, right? Like some people are academics, whatever, like my basketball, my family is a basketball family. Like there's no doubt about it. People get around the table and it's all we talk about. Did you see the game? This guy, that player, he's good. He's not good, whatever. And we just like, can't shake it. We're just a basketball family. So I think as a young kid, um, it wasn't like, hey, Will, are you going to play? It was kind of like I wanted to be like part of the conversation that mm -hmm. everyone was having as an adult. And you're a kid. You know, you always want to sit at the big boy table as a kid. Yeah. And you hear it's just like they're always just talking about hoops and hoops and hoops. And it was like, oh, I'm going to be the topic of conversation. Like I'm going to be at that next level. So 
they wanted me to get into golf tennis just because like you know it's it's I'm not gonna say easier but it's more they know like what kind of person I am up top and as I think they're kind of wired the same way um but you can kind of like get maybe get further being an asshole as a tennis player than you can as a basketball player <laughs> so they kind of wanted me to go down that route um but yeah it just kind of just happened that way but no there wasn't like there wasn't any like yogi i know his father was like training him at like at jordan hole same thing as like a young kid with like dribbling drills there was like none of that going on it was just like hey you want to play cool but that was really it now you talked a little bit about your younger brother but there's another sibling uh that would be ripe for competitive uh competition which is your yeah. twin sister correct yeah yeah again no competition i mean she's yet to find any sport that's like is you know I mean, maybe she can do yoga. I, I don't even know. <laughs> no, she's she's brilliant. She's much smarter than I am. Um, so I think once I realized that I couldn't beat her in anything mental, I just kind of tried to rub her face and everything physical that I could do better than her. Um, so that's kind of where we separated as – because she's a competitive person as well. So it was more of like, look at my SAT score, and I was like just ignoring it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and what I'm going to do, you don't need SAT scores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, when you were growing up in your basketball family, were you a college basketball guy, an NBA guy? Who who were you looking up to or looking to as like a player or a team that like, that's my team, that's my guy, I want to play like him? Yeah, you know, growing up in South Florida, uh, the Heat were good at that time, even before LeBron um, got there. I was like in high school or whatever. So Dwayne Wade was obviously like a big part of um that whole thing I think coach Cream like subliminally I wanted to play for Cream because of like the D Wade connection you know it was just almost like like D Wade definitely wasn't my favorite player but it's just like he was the dude down there I guess now is like maybe I don't know Vic is I guess for young kids in Indy probably it's just like that's the guy um so there was a lot of that but to be honest with you as like a white basketball player um in the early 2000s like JJ Redick was like the GOAT I mean, it was like you, 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 any kid in eighth grade, uh, sophomore in high school, when JJ Reddick was at Duke, it was like, I'm going to be that guy. Mm, yeah. And, and by the way, if you could shoot like that guy, you would make a lot of money in the NBA. Oh, my God. Anybody. Yeah. I mean, me in particular. Yeah, of course. I shit. <laughs> now, 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 talking about your, your family. I mean, obviously, your dad played for um, St. Bonaventure in Syracuse, which is interesting because there's a, a connection there. And then your uncle played for Virginia in the ACC. Was there, um, and you mentioned the D. Wade connection, but was there a college that you looked to like, that's where I want to play, even as a kid, and maybe that changed? Um, or was there ever one that, that, that grabbed your attention? Uh, I mean, Purdue, as a young kid, I wanted uh, to go. Uh, what? Bad joke, didn't stick. Um, so, <laughs> we were about uh, to end this real quick. Wow. Uh, no, and I, I, I would say, like, probably number one was probably Duke. I mean, you know, again, like, as a white kid uh, early 2000s, it was just, like, Duke recruits white guys that are good. And, like, you know, the, if, you're, if you're a white player in the United States and you are the best, uh, you're, a, you're a McDonald's All-American, like, chances are, you're, like, a very high percentage chance you're going to choose to. There's just, like, that's just, like, the way – I don't know. I don't know why it, that's the way it is. But, like, we recognize it as white players. Jordan will tell you. I tell you, he's like, oh, you get an offer from Duke. Like, you're the real deal as a white boy, you know. <laughs> um, so, I would say, like, that was probably up there. You always wanted to get, like, an offer like that. And then I'd say, like, I actually really wanted to go to Cuse. Um, 
because my dad went there, but they never really gave me the time of day, uh, never offered me. So that was kind of out of the question. And then uh, after that was UCLA, really wanted to go there really badly, was waiting on that offer, um, which never came as well. So I set, I settled for Indiana, I guess. Who, <laughs> who, who was the coach at UCLA during that time? Was it Lavin? It wasn't Lavin, was it? No, it was uh, Ben Howland, I think. Oh, Howland. Yeah, sure. I think so. But, you know, they were, they were so good. I mean, that, all those schools were above my uh, – my talent level. I mean, I, I mean, I could have maybe transferred there after a couple of years at IU, but at, coming out of high school, I was like 170 pounds and like couldn't really shoot, still can't shoot. So I was like, yeah. Well, let, let's talk about your, your progression as a basketball player. When did it click for you that you weren't just part of a basketball family and doing what your whole family talked about, but you had progressed to a point where I'm really good to a point where I can get a division one spot when did that happen for you uh yeah I would say like you know going to those camps as a kid that uh, camps are, I don't even know if kids even go to camps anymore with AU because like AU was just kind of it was getting there when I was in high school but it wasn't it wasn't like where it is now so you still went to camps a lot so it would be like five-star camp um you know hoop group camp things like that so I think it was like uh my sophomore year going into my junior year I'd never played AU just like just dominated on the uh, high school competition and the kids in my area, as you can tell, I like to beat up on lower competition. Um, <laughs> and so I was never really like interested in like, I, I'm not gonna say interested. I never really had the opportunity to like, you know, play on one of these teams, you know, like fly to Vegas and like, you know, whatever. So I went to this camp, like hoop, hoop group elite or something. And this is like, you know, you had to pay I don't know, a couple hundred bucks to go. And then like a bunch of college coaches would like watch your games and they were small schools. I mean, it's not like, in, not like creams going on these kind of camps. It was be like, you know, Florida Atlantic Gulf coast, like smaller schools like that. Um, and I went, I played really well. And, um, and I remember seeing kids that were like ranked higher and whatever. And I was like, you know, there's some really good players, but I'm not as bad as I think, you know, my ranking says or whatever. Um, and then the offer started flowing in. They got, then I went AU, started playing there started playing really well in some tournaments. When I say playing really well, I mean, like, I dunked it, like, two times in a game, and they're like, wow, he's white and can jump a little bit? <laughs> Sign him up. Like, he's going to help our, our, uh, our uh, what is it? Uh, uh, I can't remember. There's, like, some score thing. But whatever. Oh, the, they're the like, APR? Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, this guy's got a, this guy's got a 3.0 in high school, and, and he's, he's, like, a little, uh, a little athletic. I'll sign him up. Let's go. Because <laughs> that was, like, my that was, that was like my thing. I was, like, I got to go for these, like, high uh, – I got to go for these high academic schools because my grades are pretty good. So I was, like, I was like, man, like, my only real way to get to, like, a big school would be, like, like a Stanford school is, like, to be, like, look at my grades, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to leverage that. Yeah. When you're when you're on, you get into that that AAU circuit a little bit later, maybe than others. I find it so as curious. Who did you cross paths with in that time? Was there somebody who ended up going to the league that you just saw in the in the high school days, or or was it was it more restricted regionally to where you were in Florida? Yeah, I mean, mainly it was just like growing up in Florida. You know, there's like good athletes, but mainly they all play football. You know. Um, yeah. So, you know, there is some basketball, but it's not the same as, you know, Indiana Midwest because it's so fucking cold that you guys have to just play indoor sports. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we would just uh, – I, I guess I just playing against a Florida competition, doing really well, being like, all right, what else is out there, you know? And then playing against some kids from the Midwest. From You, know, you always hear about these kids from the cities, right, Chicago, New York. I mean, like, all right, like, that dude is pretty nice. But, I mean, he's not that much better than I am, I guess. Maybe, like, once I start playing 
in the circuit and seeing what else was out there. Now, you mentioned this as, a, as something that got some college coaches to uh, notice you, and clearly it got a lot of fans to notice you, dunking. You're really good at dunking, and we always like to ask, what was the first time your memory of your first dunk ever? Well, let, I mean, let's get it straight. I'm good at dunking for a white guy. That, there, no, no, like, no, no, there's no, like no, a ba- no, no. There's like a baseline of dunking, and it's just like it looks different because you're like expecting everyone to be grounded, right? You know, like, <laughs> oh, the white man can't jump. It's true, right? So it's like, all right, I'm a pretty good athlete. But, I mean, th- I played with guys who were just as athletic as I was, but just like um, – like even at IU, um, like – you you would never you would never say like uh, yeah Devin Davis you would never be like that guy's a great dunker but like he was a better dunker than I was I was just like you know <laughs> you did it in prime time you got nominated for dunk of the year so let's not sell yourself too short here I agree and so so do you remember the first time you ever dunked yeah I, I remember I was um, not like the first like one time but I remember when I started to be able to dunk like routinely um, it was like sophomore year in high school I would say. Um, I could like, you know, start to dunk in like a game and like, you know, guys would notice like, you know, if we were playing in the game, they'd be like throwing alley-oop or something. So I would say like sophomore year of high school. By the way, I, you're, you're self-deprecating and it's funny and charming, but it's also total bullshit because we've talked to several of your teammates who all say that your athletic ability and just fitness overall was simply off the charts. So when, like, does that come from your dad? Was your dad a, a real, I know he's a great basketball player. Was he a really good athlete or, or did that yeah. come somewhere else? No, like, uh, let's get it straight. Like if it comes to like a fitness competition, I'm the baddest dude in the room. They, there's no, there's not a, well, I'm, like, I'm not going to sell myself short. I, I mean, I just like to keep it 100, you know? So when it, when I, uh, if it came down to like, you know, who's going to do the most pull-ups, push-ups, sprints, and like it's, until you, until you throw up like that's when I, I see that red and it's like that's not happening you know so I would say yeah I'm definitely I was definitely the fittest person on the team by far I mean no one wanted to fuck with me in terms of like fitness um uh, in terms of just like jumping like yeah I mean I could jump pretty well but like there was guys who jumped high there was guys that definitely jumped higher I mean like big obviously jumped higher but like even guys that you wouldn't expect which is weird it was almost like they weren't comfortable like dunking you know like they they could jump really high and then, you know, the IU Twitter account would be like, look at this guy's vertical. And you're like, that guy has a vertical of 40-something? But it's like, <laughs> it's like he doesn't know how to use it when the lights are on or something. Right. I don't know. There's something, There's something. I guess, so maybe that's where I differentiated is I could, like, dunk in games pretty well, I guess. Right. Because um, some guys, man, could just fly, and then they just, like, couldn't dunk. And you're like, well, how does that work? They could dunk, but it had to be, like, the perfect scenario. So I think you have to like be smart about how you read the floor and where you can kind of pick spaces. And like, it's not all about just like how high you can jump. I want to go a little bit off to the side here while we're still still in Florida. Right. I'm sure very familiar with the idea of Florida man. Yeah, that's me. Great. I, I assumed as much. So for the listeners who maybe aren't into meme culture as much, Florida man is the idea that people in Florida do the craziest shit. What's the most florida man thing you've ever done as a florida man i mean I, I, you guys know i have tattoos right there, there's like enough do i have to say anything else um <laughs> by the way i was gonna get to that later you don't just have tattoos man i remember watching you as a player and every once in a while like the jersey would kind of go a little bit on the shoulder and you don't just have a tattoo your entire torso is covered in a tattoo is it not no but florida florida people are crazy you know 
when, when the weather's so, first of all, it takes a different type of person to move to Florida, right? So we're talking like early 90s, my parents moved down to Florida. There's not, it's, Florida's of 20-something years ago, 30 years ago. It's not the Florida of today, right? So you had, like, the, my parents were a little off just to go down there in general because um, there was like nothing going on. It's kind of weird. It's really hot. So there's that. Um, and then, like, the heat is a breeding ground of just weird activity, you know? So I think it's a combination of, like, a bunch of different type of people who are like, let's go down there. Let's see what's all about. And then it's also kind of like, it's really hot. Let's go crazy. Yeah. When did the tattooing start? What was your first tattoo? Uh, in, coll- in college. Uh, I always. Yeah, I always. I, what do you mean? You had to be 18. I had to be in college, right? I'm not You're a Florida man. I figured it started when you were like 11. <laughs> yeah, my uncle. My uncle actually did, did it up in the in the garage for me. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. No, in uh, in college, I was 18. I always wanted them, and my my parents and my grandparents and everyone was like, "No, please, no." And I was like, "Hey, man, my body, my rules. I'm gonna do what I want, you know." So, hey, you're not paying my bills anymore. I'm gonna do what I want. What makes me happy? So, <laughs> I um, yeah, I started getting them at 18, and then. You know, it's true what they say. Like, once you get one, it's an addiction. Like, you just like the way one looks, you're going to like the way 12 looks. You know, that's just like the way it kind of is. If you hate the one that you got, you're not going to get any more. But if you like the one that you, that you got, you're going to get one. Do you, is there any on there that you do regret? You had to, like, cover up later with something else? Uh Oh, yeah. You always have some. That, if you get enough, you're some that you're like, that did not turn out great. But it's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the fun part about it. If you don't take yourself too seriously, then it's like, Hey man, we're all gonna die anyway. Like you might as well, you might as well do what makes you happy. And if one tattoo out of the thirty that you have sucks, then it's pretty good odds. Well, in the spirit of that, is there anything we could do to get you to get a Hoosier Hysterics tattoo of our logo somewhere on your body? You guys don't have enough money for that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's get back to basketball. You're progressing. You're tearing it up on these AAU tournaments. You're getting noticed. The offers are starting to come in. When is the first contact? with Indiana University. Yeah, that's not for a while, actually. So my, my level of recruitment wasn't that high. Um, you know, I was getting mid, mid-majors, a little bit of uh, high majors, just like a little interest, not like concrete offers. Um, and then that's, I would say, my senior year of high school, uh, go, like before the season started, we had a guy named Fab Mello on the team uh, yeah. that I played with. And he was getting every offer. And, you know, the greatest part about all of that was he wanted to go to Syracuse. He knew he was going to go to Syracuse. That was like a thing that was going to happen the whole time, probably because they had the biggest uh, bag of money they were going to throw. I don't know the details. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Generally, I don't know. I would tell you if I did. Um, and so the greatest part about that was my high school was like, hey, Fab, like, if you can hold off, and just, like, bring all these coaches into the gym to see you, but they can also see, like, the rest of the guys on the team. Like, it would help everyone else out. And, like, what do you care, right? Like, he barely spoke English, so it's not like he's going to have, like, a talk with these guys afterwards. It was like, they're going to come watch me play basketball, and then they're going to leave, and that's all I have to do is just, like, not say I'm going to go to Syracuse. Sure, buddy, I'll do whatever you want, you know? (laughs) So it was great. So he had all these coaches coming to the gym all the time, and um, the coach for South Carolina at the time, his name was Darren Horn. Oh, Um, Creed's old guy. Yeah, exactly. And he was recruiting a guy. Well, honestly, I love Darren Horn, but at the same time, he was like big time me. So I had a guy on the team who's a year younger than me who ended up being a not a very good player who they were recruiting to go to South Carolina. Instead of offering me, they were like, hey, Cream, this guy's good. We don't want him, but do you want him? 
Um, so, you know, I, shout out to Derek for help, helping me out a little bit, but also not shout out for uh, thinking I wasn't good enough to play at fucking South Carolina. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, it was cool. Then Green came down, like, maybe, like, the next day, 48 hours later. Like, that's the crazy part about Green, too. Like, he gets his eye set on something. He gasses up that India, that IU gen, man. Just, that, that, well, that and, and talk about somebody feeling comfortable, you know, in, in a crazy state. I imagine Green just fits in really well. <laughs> As well, the soon tan. as he hits, yeah, the tan and the insanity. Once he hits Florida, he's got to feel right at home. Green lives in Florida. You guys didn't know that? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised in the least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so he comes 48 hours later. What is your yep. two-part question? What is your first meeting like with him, and how quickly did it take you to realize he was a total crazy person? Uh, I mean, the fact that, like, it was the biggest school by far to come watch me play, like, in, like, one-on-one type of situation, not just, like, they're at the gym to see Fab. They're like, we're coming to see you. I played for, like, 10 minutes. He was like, we're offering you a scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, this is great. Like, let's go, you know? So that's the kind of guy, like, he, may, he has his mindset on, like, if you're a good player, if you're not within, like, very quickly and I think he liked the fact that I was like a little like that I'm a little crazy you know like he liked you could tell right away like you know I just have like little quirks that I like to to like to do like you know we'd be warm we'd be warming up as like a team you know and I would just like be running sprints up and down the sideline like this is the warm-up this is fucking soft like like what is this you know and then like uh you know the first game would be going to five and and I, I score the fifth point I'd be like you guys might as well just go home just pack your bags just just leave and I think he liked like that kind of like fire, like I, 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 I'll, I'll say that it looks great for me to say, oh, I did that to fire up my team. And I did that because it's what my team needed. No, nah, man, that sounds true. It's what I needed. Like I genuinely loved that shit. And I knew that I couldn't go to practice and have a good practice or even enjoy practice if I wasn't just like talking shit and pushing my body and mind to the next level. Like that's just like enjoyment. Like I get like a high from like going down that route, you know? Well, okay. your, your trash talking is legendary. And I Thanks. do want to know, before you got to college, AAU, playground, high school, yeah. us, there had to have been a moment where you talked some trash and it just led to a total brawl. It had to have. Oh, yeah. My two front teeth are fake. They got knocked out in a fight. Is um, it true? Tell us that story. Yeah, so I'm playing. I'm playing. Um, well, one of them, one of them got knocked out of IU by accident, but the other one, I got, I got punched in the face and I got knocked out. Um, I was playing like in the in the neighborhood, uh, just like in my neighborhood, um, and we're we're playing. Run, we're running the courts all morning. Me and my homies just running the courts like no one's it's not even close. And uh, these guys roll up from the next town over because they, you know. It's pretty much like everywhere. You hear there's a good game. You get you get your buddies together. You get in the car. You got to beat who's ever on the court. You know, we're running the court for four hours. Like, they got someone's got to try to take us off. So these dudes from the next town overcome, and they start playing with us. And I was – and the town over is, like, a nicer town. You know, like, it's not Florida man town. It's, like, it's like rich, <laughs> New, rich New Yorker town, Florida man town. Um, so these kids come through, and, like, they got nice shoes on, nice bags, nice – all that, all the jazz, you know. And we just beat – we just wipe them, wipe them, wipe them. And uh, afterwards, I was like, I was like, man, it's too bad you guys spent all that money on your your parents spent all that money on your shoes. You guys still suck. <laughs> <laughs> and the kids were like, well, what'd you say? I was like, oh no, I said that you guys wasted your gas money coming over to this town because you guys are <laughs> you guys are trash. <laughs> and then like you know they were like, oh like let's start blah, blah, blah. like you know and then of course like naturally things and then yeah I got my toothbrush out. 
I definitely lost the fight. Dude, beat my ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So getting back to your recruitment, <laughs> I, I, I found a quote. Okay. You turned down offers. Correct me if any of this is wrong. Arizona State, Michigan, Georgia Tech. Never got offers from either of those. Okay. <laughs> so maybe you didn't have this quote either, but I, I want to see if you said this. Mm -hmm. I chose Indiana because it was the best combination of basketball, academics, and social life. Yeah, you can read through that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think um, half of that quote was BS. I didn't think about academics. I walked into Assembly Hall. I was like, I'm going to play here in front of, like, all these people. They're like, yeah, homie, like, this is what it is. And I was like oh shit like okay and I'm like in in my head I'm like I'm coming here you know like it's mm -hmm. it's not it's like coming here and this is on my official visit so then I'm like walking around and it's a I use playing like Wisconsin it's fall it's like mid-October the weather is perfect you know those Bloomington days where it's like those like 10 days of the year yeah. it's, like, it's, in, it's just incredible and, you know and only those 10 days of the year is when they only take pictures to put them on social yep. media they just keep exactly. cycling just that 10 day window it's <laughs> exactly what happened so they're like the coaches are like driving me around um they're driving me around like the tailgate fields and the game we go to the game and then afterwards you go to Zagreb's and there's just beautiful women and like the everyone's happy and the weather's great I'm from Florida where it's just hot all year round it's hot and it's like cool I'm wearing a jacket I'm like drinking a beer I'm like this is perfect like I am coming here um and so then I, I kind of got caught off guard like why'd you want to come to IU and all I could think about was like oh the the parties and the basketball <laughs> like I'm not really sure what else to say you know um when, so, when you yeah. were when you were on your official visit who was your host do you remember uh nah, I don't um the team was pretty cool man that was one of, one of another parts why I chose the team is like a bunch of good dudes. Um, everyone, everyone liked each other. At least, I mean, not everyone, but most of the guys liked each other. Um, and so I remember, I remember going to like one of their houses and they were like throwing a party and like everyone was just like laughing, you know, having a good time. They could tell that I was, I was that dude too. So they were like, yeah, dude, like, come on, you know, have a beer, like relax, chill. You know, some recruits we get in and they're like, host this guy and he sucks. Right. He's just like the worst kid ever. Yeah. And you just like, don't even want to deal with them. And then like, I think that's like another huge part about recruiting too is um, it's like a lot, of a lot of people think that like the players were like, oh yeah, buddy, come join the team. Take my spot. Come take my position. <laughs> like, like, and they're like, how did that kid not choose Indiana? It's like, oh, I don't know, because you set him up with the three other shooting guards that you recruited <laughs> over for him. Like, what, what are we doing? You know, like, it'd be better if you never had him hang out with any of the players on the team. Like, you know, that would probably be, but they saw me and they're like, you're going to play here? Yeah, okay. You have to take my spot. <laughs> have right. a beer, kid. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you were recruited, the team was in the midst of the biggest rebuild in the history of maybe college basketball. I mean, it was, yeah. we were awful. Did did the promise or or potential of quick playing time because the team was so bad did that figure into your uh, decision at all? 
Dude, honestly, man, IU was the biggest offer that I had. I was going there regardless if I was going to play right away or not. I mean, Crean, of course, they tell every kid they're going to play right away. If it's like, hey, you're McDonald's All-American, you know you're going to play right away. Or you're a kid like me, and they're like, we'll find minutes for you, you know? Like, right. they just, like, kind of, you know, they make it seem like you're going to play. Every, every kid as a freshman thinks they're going to play. There's no kid that goes to any school is like, I'm just going to grind it out for four years or three years, and then when I'm a senior, I'll get 20 minutes a game. Like, that's not, you know, every kid thinks they're going to be a starter when they get there. Right. So. Um, I thought that I would play more than I did my freshman year, of course, but um, I was happy with it. I wasn't, like, trying to transfer. Now, what's interesting about your recruiting class is it came on the heels of a couple, like, you know, when Cream got there and then he started to try to rebuild and he got guys like Jordy and Christian Watford and Maurice Creek. Um, mm -hmm. There seemed to be some momentum. And then your recruiting class, you and Vic, obviously, were both guys that were not highly recruited across the nation. Your rankings weren't high. I think you were around, you know, like 140 or something like that in the, in the yeah. rankings. Now, you're a competitive as hell guy. The fact that there was some chirping about, oh, this isn't a great recruiting class. Did you hear any of that? Did that bother oh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course it did. Of course, because I'm like – who else are you guys going to get? Like, IU sucks. <laughs> oh, cool. You're going to have a bunch of walk-ons for another year that went to, that went to uh, Cathedral High School? Congratulations. Like, you, that, that's what you want? So it was kind of like – it was kind of a slap in the face because, it's yeah, Indiana was the biggest school that I could have gone to, but there was other schools that were better than IU at that time that I had offers for, you know? Like, of course, IU had way more, like, room for growth and, like, way more potential, you know, for myself and for the school – um, so, you know, it's like, but like if I was getting recruited by, I don't know, say Bucknell at the time, like Bucknell was beating IU by 20 points. Right. You know? <laughs> um, so it was like, all right, so the guys who go to IU or Bucknell beat the current guys at IU by 20 points and the players that go to Bucknell aren't good enough to go to IU. Okay, cool. The great logic there, fans. So when you, you do arrive at IU and coming off of a terrible season, now it's coach Green's third season. Are, do you start to understand what's going on in Hoosier Nation? I'm sure you're familiar with the history of the program from mm -hmm. your family, from the basketball conversations, from your recruitment. Do you, do you start to get a sense that this isn't just like a, a proud program and a school, but mm -hmm. there's an entire state watching yeah. this season with a microscope to see if this, this cream guy is going to turn it around. Did you feel that? And did it, uh, yeah how you guys approached every day in practice because you knew the whole state was focused oh 100 yeah like uh coming from to be honest when i first got the call that indiana was coming i was like what school is that like i, I don't even like i genuinely didn't know because from florida like we only really pay attention to the east coast stuff and like some like big west coast school so indiana i was like what goes on there i've never even been to the state i've never been to illinois chicago i've never left like the south east of the united states so I remember getting there and like fans like recording like me like walking around and like I, it was just bizarre that I was popular um, as an 18 year old like you know kid just playing basketball where it's like the my high school basketball games had like 20 people at the stands <laughs> 40 40 you know and now all of a sudden like somehow just because this team is recruiting me I'm like popular now um, so I definitely like felt that right away and then once I got there people like being like oh, uh, Will, what, did you, what do you think about, um, you know, Branch McCracken? I'm like, who? <laughs> they're like, 
Well, and then it was like, they're like, oh, the coach from this year. I'm like, why do you even know that, you know? And then that's when I started to realize, like, these people take this seriously. And I honestly loved it because, like, I love basketball. And I love everything about basketball. And, like, I just love people who love basketball. Like, I wouldn't be talking to you guys if you guys didn't love basketball, too. It's like, basketball is just a great sport. And it brings people together. And, like, there's just, there's just so much about basketball I just love. And I've, like, the amount of people from different cultures and, like, people that I would have never talked to in my entire life that, I, that I've, like, became great friends with and, like, and just, like, been able to be around through basketball is just incredible. And I think that's what's so awesome about Indiana, but almost to a fault, is that they love basketball so much. It's, like, they'll take anyone into their own home if they love basketball as much as they do, you know? And, like, that's, like, a, a love that I, that I love as well. So, yeah, we, we definitely felt that to answer your question. Um, when we'd be at practice, like, Queen would always tell us about it. But then it's, like, the second you left practice, like, you were a celebrity. Like, these people really genuinely cared. And you also felt it from the other way of, like, you had a bad game. People wanted to egg your house. Like, right. people, would steal, pe- like I, people would steal stuff from my apartment. Kids would egg my house in college. Like, kids would, like, tell me, like, death threats. All that in college. Jesus. So, like, you, you know you took a I – mean, what happened was they were betting with their dad's money, and then they'd lose a 1000 bucks, and they'd be like, oh, I hope you die because you missed that free throw um and it was just like dumb stuff like that you know um but yeah i mean like people genuinely care like a lot um and you feel it you can't you can't you can't escape it you can't hide it and i think some of that is like almost too much for kids um at that age you know because you are just you are just a kid you know and yeah it's a lot it's a lot on your shoulders as a young kid when did you first meet your uh fellow recruit and freshman for that year victor oladipo yeah, on campus, we, we both got in there the, the summer before then. And Vic's a uh, crazy awesome guy. Like, he, um, he just got so much personality. He works so hard. He loves basketball just as much as I do. He loves competing just as much as I do. He was the only guy, I will say this, the only guy that I would legitimately be, like, afraid to practice against. The only guy. We would go to practice, and it would be – and, like, the thing about Kareem, too, is, like, he knew that Vic and I were, like, like the closest together of, like, um, like height, weight, athleticism, you know? And so he'd just be like, let's put these two dogs in this ring and see who gets out kind of thing. You know, it was always like, you can't, you can't pair the tallest guy with the smallest guy. It's like, it's not going to fit. So he'd always like pair guys that he knew would be like great fights. Like Green was like kind of sick with that. He would be like, <laughs> oh, this, like he had like a player card in his head, you know, like this is my fight card for today. Like, these two are going to fight. Um, but no, I remember just being like, God, I got to guard this guy. And just being on my heels and be like one-on-one full court. And I'm like, this is miserable, like miserable. Where anyone else, I could, like, that's probably maybe how they felt about me. Like, I could just, like, dog them, like, athletically. I could just be like, all right, I'm going to take you up full court. I'm, you know, I'm going to elbow you, shoulder you, body you. But Vic was just, like, a different, different breed. One how, much better things- do you, how much better do you think that made you, going against him every day? Oh, oh, so much better. But, you know, people don't want to talk. Vic doesn't want to talk about this either. When we used to get on campus, Vic and I would play one-on-one. I'd beat his ass. I would consistently <laughs> beat his ass. I was I was a full on better basketball player than Vic was as a freshman right when we got there. Right. But man, his growth like his growth was just so quick, so fast, so like it was unbelievable. Like from the first day he got there till like the first game of the season, he was so much better as a player. And then like the first game of his freshman year to the last game, it's just like he just grew so much faster than the rest of us that like that's why he's so good and like that's why he's still growing in the NBA. It's just like he just gets better. One of the things that I think you would probably agree about Vic and you that you share in common, but it it is so unique to very few basketball players, very few athletes and very few people that you have just in spades is you play the game with zero fear, zero. I mean, 
one of the things in in when I was just a fan of yours and now going back and looking, being a sixth man, which you were for a lot of your career, you know, up until really your senior year, even though you did start several games before over your first three years, but you were a sixth man. You're yep. coming into a game cold. The game's already in a flow many times. And it's, for many people, it's difficult to find your way into the game. But you would come into the hottest contested games, the most competitive, the most intense, and you had no fear. You went right at guys. You defended guys who were bigger and stronger than you. You went at them offensively. Where does this kind of no fear, and I imagine that's how you live your life too. Do, do you have any sense of where that comes from? I mean, was that something discussed with your parents? Because I love it. I mean, I wish I had it. I wish I had it. Thanks, man. It's nice. It's nice of you to say that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just always felt like uh, you. You only got one shot at like most of the times that you. You know, it's like I could either bitch about not starting, which like of course I wanted to start. It's like who doesn't want to start? Who doesn't want to get the, all the points, all those shots? You know, who wants to be on the cover of the magazines? Like, yeah, of course I wanted to start over Jordan or whoever else was starting in front of me, Yogi. Of course I wanted to, but like it was like. Like, I played a game with myself. Like, I'm going to be like, I'm like, fuck Cream. Like, I'm going to show him today that whoever he put in the starting lineup, even though those are my my homies, I will die for them. Like, I'm going to show him that he made the wrong choice. Like, like that 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 uh, that starting lineup that he put onto the floor today, that's shit because I'm not in it, you know? So I would just, like, get into this mindset of, like, like a, like a dog just ready to eat, you know? So, mm-hmm. like, he was like, he just, like, let me off the chain. Um, and we would always fight about that, too, because, like, he'd always be pulling me back, pulling me back with the chain. And I always just wanted to just be like, dude, just let me let me run free. Like, let me just go, you know, um, which he did for a lot of times. But, um, but yeah, I just had that, like, that mentality of, like, oh, oh, I'm not starting because I'm not good enough. Like, I'm going to show you. And, like, it could be bad. I'm going to show you bad, you know. Like, there were some <laughs> games I got in there and I was just – I was just, I was just trash, right? Like I missed like five shots in a row. I turned it over twice, but it's like, I wasn't going to not like at least try to like, anyone can go in the game and box out, play defense and like get a couple rebounds. Like that's boring. Like I'm be like, fuck it. Like might as well just try to go for 30 tonight. Like might as well like try to dive on a loose ball. Like might as well like make my mark, you know, in the game. Cause like this guy obviously doesn't think I'm good enough to play. So let's show him. So as you get going into that freshman year, you guys start off, you know, winning some games, not against the toughest competition. You kind of break out against Mississippi Valley State. You have like nine points, a couple boards, a couple assists in 11 minutes. Probably feeling, you know, fairly good now about life in Division One because you knew what those two previous seasons were. But then we have to bring up Las Vegas. Eric and I made the trip to Las Vegas. We'd lived through the first couple seasons of, of Crean and we'd seen Christian and Jordy, you know, Derek come in the season before. And now you and Vic are the new guys that are supposed to help take things to the next level. And from a fan's point of view, that tournament in the historic Orleans makeshift arena, <laughs> it just seemed like a, it was a total shit show. It was a total mess. And and we left being like, oh, my God, is this ever going to get turned around? What, what did it feel like to you guys, you know, and as you went into that season and the competition got tougher and the losses started piling up? Yeah, I mean, we weren't ready. Like, we just weren't as good as those teams. So those guys, like Northern Illinois, like, 
they had like a bunch of seniors. They were older. They were better. I mean, like, you know, and that's to say like how bad we were, right? We can't even beat Northern Illinois. Like, we're not ready. Like, we're not on that. And we kind of did. We're feeling ourselves a little bit like, oh, okay, this is our shot, the big boys. Like, we got them. We just beat Mississippi Valley. You know, who cares, right? Like, but we, we somehow thought that was like, you know, good. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like we left that being like, we're not that good, you know? And then that season was, it was rough too, going through big 10, you know, we have a win every now and then, but it was like, we weren't good enough. And this is what I tell everyone, everyone that asked me about the team, whatever, the guy who was the best player by far, not even close, Cody Zeller guy changes the game for all of us. He comes in, he opens things up. He's a great passer, good rebounder, runs the floor, spaces things off for Jordan, me, Vic to drive. Cause like at that point it was like, we're like, no one was like, taking any of our scoring scoring threats seriously so then it's like once you take cody seriously down low it opens up the floor for all of us because now everyone's just taking one extra step closer to the help that gives me one extra step more of an advantage right where it was like before i might have been getting hugged and it's like i'm not good enough to blow by this guy but now i have an extra half step and like in basketball it's all inches so now just that extra inch opened up everything um, and Crean did a good job of like putting Cody in that position too, as like freshman being like, Hey man, this is your team. Like, we're going to give you the ball. You have to make decisions. And like, you can see Cody's a great decision maker and he like developed his decision maker, but Cody Zeller is why the program turned around. Not me, uh, not Vic, not like anyone else that like Vic is a better player now. And Vic is a, is a, more of a personality, or whatever, but Vic is not the reason why Indiana turned around. He is one of the reasons, but the main one is Cody because he just made all of us better. Wow. Well, before, by the way, I, I have to say, like, your personality on paper, if you just wrote it out and said, like, this is the guy, he's a badass, he does his own thing, th there is a real chance that that player on paper does not gel well with teammates. Like, there's yeah. been, you know, that, that, that is absolutely a story that's been told many times. Yeah. I mean, just, I'll give an example of one that just pops to mind because of South Florida. But Jimmy Butler is a guy who is yeah. known for being ultra intense, does his own thing. And he has not, I mean, the guy's on his like fifth basketball team because yeah. he's a great player, but just hasn't gelled. Every one of your teammates loves you. Like, <laughs> you've only true. talked to the ones that love me. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, but the teammates from that era of Indiana rave about you. They all say, that's my guy. And you're self-deprecating, but and and clearly Cody was a key component. But the intensity that you brought, regardless of why you brought it for yourself or for the team, it did help fuel the team. And and I'm just curious, was it a is it a conscious thing on your part to be friends with your teammates? Because you could it could have easily gone the other way because of how you play in practice in the games. No, I don't, I, I don't like go out seek. I wasn't seeking friendship from my teammates to be honest. Um, but like the thing I think that my teammates like about me and my friends now like about me and the people that don't like me hate this about me in general as a player, as a person, um, is like, I'm just like, I'm no filter. Um, if I feel a certain type of way about you, I tell you that if I feel the other way, that's, it is what it is. And I'm not afraid to say that to you. And I'm not afraid to be like, just like true to my own feelings. And I think, like, a lot of the guys on the team, like, respected that because no one else is really doing that. Like, how many interviews do you guys get where guys are like, um, guys are like, oh, yeah, they give you the, the, the PC answer. It's all clean. It's uncut. And, like, you don't really get anywhere. But, like, you'd be surprised on how much that actually happens within a locker room, right? Where it's like mm. someone has a bad game and it's like no one talks to the guy. No one. 
like they just like because they don't know how to talk to them because they're not like they're not a real person like they don't they've never really had to they always just like say what you're supposed to say so no one really knows how to talk to the guys had a bad game where it was like say Watford would have a bad game right I'd be like dude fuck it like it's over let's move on to the next one like what's the worst that's gonna happen man let's go get a beer let's chill like think about life like bigger than that and like those guys respected the fact that I could be like like up here with them and then they had a great game and I'd be like dude you missed the layup like you know, where everyone be like, you had such a great game. You're the best, man. Like, you're awesome. Like, everyone wants to talk to you after you have a great game, right? And I'd go up to him and be like, dude, but you missed that layup. Like, you're not that good, you know? And I think my teammates just liked that. And some of my teammates hate, hated it, hated it. Most of, the guys my, most of the guys I played with my senior year that were younger were like, didn't understand me as a person, didn't understand my personality, just like didn't get along with them. I didn't like them. They didn't like me. And it was just kind of like, that's just how I felt. And it, it was one of the reasons why our team wasn't very good. And I take responsibility for that. But at the same time, like, that's my personality. I can't, I mean, can't change. Um, I want to mention one more thing about your freshman year because it is a sign of things to come. You go to Purdue, you lose the game. It's your, it, you're playing against Purdue. You come from South Florida. You don't really understand the hatred between Indiana and Purdue and those rivalries. They don't mean anything to somebody coming from South Florida, Indiana, Kentucky, those things. But you turn in 14 points, three rebounds, two assists, which starts off a run, by the That's way. That's fire. It's fire, line. Virtually <laughs> every game you played against Purdue, you were unbelievable. I mean, like your whole career, games against Purdue, you did very well in. What yep. – um, di how did you learn about the rivalry between IU and Purdue? And when did it start to – or did it ever start to mean more than just a game to you? Yeah, the, co the coaches definitely, like, when we – like, the guys from out of state, when we'd get there, um, the coaches would be like, hey, go ask, go ask Jordan, like, what IU Purdue means. Like, go ask, um, I don't know, whoever, like, Cody, what, what does IU Purdue mean, you know? And those guys, like, lived through the whole thing, right? They're just like you guys, like, they, they, they live it. Um, so the coaches did a good job of, like, explaining to us what it really meant for the out-of-state guys. And, like, as much as we want to say, like, the out-of-state guys still don't get it. Like, we, we try to get it. Even today, like – I don't watch IU Purdue games. I just don't. I, I don't really watch that much college basketball. And it's like, I still love the Hoosiers. I still love everything about it. But it's like, it doesn't doesn't mean the same to me because I'm not from Indiana. My parents don't care about Indiana basketball. My grandparents don't care about Indiana basketball. So I think like, it's kind of like a, you're, you're bred with it. It's in your blood. Um, and you either have or you don't. So that was kind of how, how those games went. Um, they got more interesting and better as we got better because before it was just like Purdue just beating our ass, right? right. And then it was like, once we got better, the games got closer. And then that was when it was like, oh, IU fans can come out of the closet now. And they can, <laughs> they can, they, they started having our backs a little bit more. And it was like, oh, we can actually talk shit on Twitter and maybe back it up in the game um, instead of deleting my tweet right after we lose. So it was like, <laughs> okay, here we go. There was some momentum there. Um, and I think just like, the momentum of like our team and IU fans feeling like it's back and then Purdue being like, Oh man, we used to have this like grip on IU and now it's kind of slipping away. It just created like this great uh, rivalry. Well, and it also seems like you have the kind of personality when, even if it's something that you're taught rather than what you were born with, you were like, Oh, we hate these guys. Oh, it's real important that we oh, fuck yeah, yeah, these yeah. guys up yeah. and talk shit yeah. that that, that oh, yeah. would just trigger you to play even better. hundred percent, hundred percent. Like, I, again, like, I talk, I talk about, like, how competitive I am and I want to smack everyone, but, like, it is easier to get up and go play those games than it is against Mississippi Valley State. Whoever says, oh, it's just another game on our schedule, they're full of shit. 
the games that are big, you care more, you're sweating more, your heart rate's racing. You took probably three pregame dumps. Like you are ready (laughs) to go. You know, you are ready. You're like, you're like a dog in a cage. And when it's like Mississippi Valley state, like, yeah, you want to let them know that like, it's, it's not sweet up here at IU, you know? Cause that's the thing is all those Mississippi Valley state guys, they think that they can play at IU. They think they just like, they're better than us, but we just like got lucky or whatever. Right. We have to let them know, like, it's not sweet up here. Like it, it is what it is. You're down there for a reason, you know? So, <laughs> Well, we're going to get to a, a giant game here in a minute. Your sophomore year, clearly, uh, like you said, Cody comes to town and just changes everything. Uh, the, yeah. the whole team dynamic changes. You guys start off really incredibly well. Uh, like Ward said about your freshman year, not playing great competition until you hit a game that is Ward's, I think, favorite game of the last 20 years, really. I mean, <laughs> it, and that is I, I, not, it's not the one that everybody talks about. It is you go in the Big Ten ACC Challenge to play at NC State, which had yeah. a ton of buzz. That coach, I think it was Godfrey or something at the yeah, time. Yeah, I think it was Godfrey, yeah. yeah. He had a big recruit, too, that was supposed to go like a one-and-done type guy. And uh, I think it was Lorenzo Brown, I think. Was that uh, who's a great was? player? I think yeah. so. I don't know. But yeah, they were supposed to be pretty good, I think. Yeah. And you guys go, and this is like the first test to really see how yeah. good is Indiana because yeah. we've had three years plus now of just shit. And yeah. the fan base is not buying it, although it's yeah. energetic about Cody. Clearly, yeah. though, the one thing that we did see is you and Vic both took a giant step forward uh, mm-hmm. this year. Um, and now you play at NC State. Ward, I will let you uh, uh, kind of go through this game. But, Will, just tell us what you remember about going into that game. Yeah, I remember Cal, like – Cal Bershane, by the way, like one of the best coaches I've ever had. Love that guy. Um, yes. He, he, like, he, like, just oh, – I mean, he's awesome. Uh, he's so humble and, like, so real. And I, like, see myself a lot in, in myself and him, you know, and I think that's why I bonded because I like people that are like myself. Who doesn't? So I was like, <laughs> man, dude, Cal is, like, this dude – he tells you how it is. He just like had this way where you could talk to people and you like, you always felt like he had your back, you know? Um, and so I remember Cal being on the staff that time. And it was like, he was like, yo, you, like you guys real or not? Like, are you guys for real? Like, like, let me know, you know, like I'm watching you guys in practice. I'm going through the motions with you. I'm here. I'm watching it. Are you guys going to beat these guys? Or are we just going to bullshit? Are we just going to bullshit? Like, are we just going to go through it again? And you guys are just going to be the same IU team. And like, you're just going to fold. Or are we going to go win on the road? Like, we, like, none of us, I think, had ever even won on the road. Like, it's been that long, you know? Like, right. IU, hadn't, IU hadn't had a road, a true, like, road win in, like, years or something crazy. Or, like, they were, like, 1 in 80. It was wild. And they're like, he's like, are you guys going to, like, quit being, quit being, you know, lack of better words, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, we were all kind of like, but we're gonna do it. Like we're gonna we're gonna do it. And I think uh, you I don't know maybe maybe you guys noticed, but like after the game, like we all kind of run to Cal and we're like, wow. like told you, like told you, bro. Like I know I know Vic for sure and Seawat too because they had a special bond as well. But like it was kind of like, well, no, we're here, Cal. We're here. You know, like we're just as good as your teams. Like when you played, not for we weren't, of course. But we had to think about it. <laughs> well, I, I that's that's wonderful to hear. Because one, Calbert Chaney's my all-time guy. I've got a lot of great company uh, folks of my age who Calbert was and will always be the man. But what made that NC State game so sweet was, as Eric mentioned, they were trending up as well. 
and and I happened to watch the game with two big NC State fans, and I think That's it's awesome. almost like you know I'm surrounded by other Indiana fans, and we're all in the same place. But as fans, you know, you start to feel competitive, like oh, you think you guys are coming back? No, 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 we're coming back bigger, right. faster, harder, stronger. But it's in their house, and I literally went to those guys' house to watch the game, <laughs> and we were being real civilized for like you know the first thirty minutes or so of the game, mm-hmm. being like oh, you guys are getting better oh yeah you guys are too and then by the end i was just like running around there living and pumping my fist but i know that's when all the hope i had crystallized into belief you yep. feel the same way for you guys as a team it's not like oh yeah i think we can do this it's like yeah. we are this oh yeah no no for sure and like i think a lot of fans don't realize like the energy of the fans is usually pretty much the energy of the team as well. Like mm. it's, you know, we're all humans, you know, we can kind of see things, feel things, how they're coming, how they're not. So like rarely what was like, Oh, the team thinks we suck, but we're actually really good or vice versa. It was kind of like, everyone kind of knows like, you know, so we felt that from the fans, we felt it from ourselves and it was like, okay. Like, and then you get that, that confidence, you know, you get that self-belief and it really changed everything, which is how the whole Kentucky thing even came about. Cause it was like, we had had those games. We just beat NC State. Like, we're, we're undefeated at the time. They're undefeated. We're at home. We don't really lose at home that often. It was kind of like, we're going to do this. Like, we actually – we genuinely believed that we were going to beat Kentucky. People don't think that. We genuinely were like, we're going to beat them. Then we go and play them in the NCAA tournament that year, and same thing. We're like, we're beating these dudes. Like, it's actually going to happen. And, you know, some games, you go into the games, and you're, you, you're like, you're not going to – you know you're not going to win. Like, it's just – like, it's just true. Like, the fan – like, you just know it. And even the ones that the fans are like, oh, we can pull this one out. I don't know. Uh, you have a belief of, or you don't, of that you're going to win. Um, so, yeah, we had that belief, and we kept it running for that season. It was a great year. My, my favorite year of my time at IU, for sure. Well, let's talk about the Kentucky game, because here we are with another rivalry, another game that clearly is not like other games, and no one gets a bigger public relations and media BJ than Kentucky and coach Calipari. Anthony Davis is the best player since, you know, Will Chamberlain. It's like everybody, this team just crown them the champs. They're going to run. They're going to go through the season undefeated. People were talking about that. They will, they will be the next team to go undefeated. They come into blue. I mean, they work. They work. They work around the champs, right? I know. I don't, I don't want to talk about that. But, uh, <laughs> cut that out. Cut that out. Cut that yeah, out. Cut that out. They, look, they were really good. They were really good. But no one in the media was giving us a chance in that game. No one. By the way, I want to mention by before we go on, NC State coming off the bench, eight point six boards for Will Sheehy, and now we play Kentucky, and that game. Just tell us, we've, we've, we've talked to your teammates about it, but tell us what it felt like walking out and hearing that crowd and the intensity of that game. Just whatever you remember. Uh, you just get like that, uh, you get like that electric feel, you know, like when like the breeze hits you a certain way, you just kind of like get that, get that feeling. I don't know. And it's like you get that like numbness um, and you feel the crowd's energy. You, you feel off of it. You just kind of get that get in that mode. Um, and it was definitely a different vibe. You can tell by all of our reactions, like you hit a big shot, you're excited, you, you're more, um, you know, animated than other games, you know, and like, it's just a breeding ground of like, just great content, you know? So, um, yeah, it was awesome. It was, it was, it was very fun. Had you ever been in a basketball arena that was that loud before? No, 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 I still haven't. I never, I never, I've never had anything as loud as that. No, 
I ain't been if I've been in a concert as well as that. <laughs> Do you remember uh, how many points you scored in that game? Oh, I, I think I played pretty well until like the last three minutes until I was like feeling myself and wanted to score all the points. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think I, I had double digits though, for sure. Yeah, you had, had 10 points. Digits. You had 10 Let's points. Go, come on. <laughs> yeah, should have been a starter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just walk us through your memory of the final shot when Watt hit it and, and just whatever you remember from that moment. Yeah, I was on the bench. <laughs> sucks everyone asked me about that they're like were you on that team that did that i was like yeah they're like oh well, like you're playing like i don't know that <laughs> next topic <laughs> all right well let's move on the season starts rolling you guys are undefeated you're now working your way into the rankings and then you get hit with the injury bug and yep you hurt your lower leg and you missed five games. What, what was that like? Yeah. As a, is that the first time you ever dealt with a, a real injury that kept you out of playing significant time? No, nah, man, I'm actually super fragile. That's, re- that's a real thing. It's how my career just ended. Um, I can't, I don't know what it is. Uh, it's by my living habits, diet. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm, fr- I'm just a fragile dude. I always had injuries my whole life going through college, like injuries, uh, professional injuries. I mean, I was just like, I just, I, I'm, I was working out the other morning. I pulled my, my calf, just going for a run. Uh, it sucks. But um, yeah, man, I, I, had a, I had an injury and I, I knew, I knew what kind of injury it was just because I've had so many before. Um, it was like a really bad ankle sprain. I think part of it is like, I don't know when to stop. Like, I think a lot of guys where they're like, you know, like when they get tired, they're just like, I can't go anymore. Like I'm done. You know, and like I'm like, I I don't know when that my threshold is like. You know, because like mentally, I'm like I'm good, but my body, I think, like literally, like gives out at a certain point where it just like can't go anymore. So yeah, man, I just had a bunch of injuries like that throughout life. Well, and 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 the team itself, you know, you guys beat number two Ohio State first IU team ever to beat the number one and number two team in the country in the same season. But then, then there's a rough patch for the team too. You losing, you know, five of seven, you slip drastically down in the rankings. What what's happening internally there, you know, with you, with the team, is it like, Oh wait, we were kidding ourselves or is the belief undying and you know, it's just a rough patch that you got to power through. Dude, you know what's crazy about this? And this is what I tell, like, the, the younger players and, like, the guys that I play with to play with who, like, get in their own head mentally. Dude, I genuinely don't remember that. I genuinely don't remember those games. You only remember the good stuff, man. You really only remember the positive stuff that happens. So, like, you know, everyone tells on how bad things were. But, like, I genuinely couldn't tell you who we lost to. I didn't even know that. You said that five out of seven. I, I didn't even know that happened. I thought we won, like, all, every game that year. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, awesome. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you came back from your injury, and the first game back you play against Minnesota, and all you do coming back, coming off the bench, is you score 12 points and six boards in 15 minutes. By the way, that is the most amazing thing about your career. Your production per minute is just off the charts. You were, you were instant energy. It's fire. It's fire. I don't like saying it's fire because I'm 42 and I sound like an asshole saying it's fire, but I'll say it's fire. I didn't know you're, I didn't, I didn't know you're 42. Are you 29? Bro? I know. There we go. I'm 29, 29. Uh, so you come back with fire. 
12.6 boards in 15 minutes against Minnesota. And then you play two games against Purdue. And here's what you do against Purdue. 7.7 rebounds, three block shots against Purdue, the last of which basically clinches the game, right? Get that garbage out of here. Just cleaning the glass. You know, that's what I do. That's what I brought, brought to IU for, just, just to beat that weak shit up. I think it was like – I think I remember it was like the little guy, little guy, Lewis Jackson, wanted to throw up some layup. Get that out of here. Get that out of here. Now, you, you beat Purdue, which has to feel good because of the teammates and yeah, they know yeah. how big it is and because they had owned us for a while now. But now, it really – things are rolling. Um, you go to Purdue, I think you lose that game, but you do have 16 points, five rebounds, three assists against Purdue. And now you get a chance to do what it is that every college basketball player goes to college for, which is play in the goddamn NCAA tournament. Oh, and one one side note, one side note on that. You guys also beat number five Michigan State. Fair enough. Which meant you were the first team since the 1976 Hoosiers to beat three top five teams in a season. So historic stuff happening. And now, yes, you've punched the ticket to the big dance. What's it, what's it feel like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely remember that year we were going in, like we can, we can win the following year. We were like, we're going to win the previous year. It was like, we can win. Like we, we beat, we beat in Kentucky. One of like the two teams that beat them. They're obviously like the powerhouse. We're going to, we're going to jump with them. So if like, if someone's going to take them down, it's going to be us. Um, yeah, man, we definitely believed in like that. That group was so fun too, like because the seniors on that team um, were like so humble and they were great guys, and they had been through so much shit through the first couple of years of how bad the teams were, and like they did the best they could. They just like weren't good enough to play at that level. Um, not like the individual guys, just like as a collective group, like the team isn't as good. They'll tell you that, you know. So it was tough for them to like go through how bad it was, and then to take a backseat, and then like be able to like go through the tournament and play Kentucky and be in the, the Georgia dome there. And like, it was just, like the perfect storm for those guys um, to be able to like have that experience as their last experience and on like a positive note. Um, so yeah, it was awesome. That year was so much fun. Well, and you said it was your favorite year. And, and I, w I wonder, is that because it was all uh, about coming out of the abyss yeah. And then the potential, and even though people knew you would be better with Cody yep. and everybody's individual growth, it was still all like, oh, it's we're playing with house money, whereas the next season, the pressure was on the whole time. That's exactly the, that's exactly right. We're playing with house money. Expectations were low. Um, everyone was like, wait, well, hey, you know, like that Paul, the, the Paul Rudd um, uh, video, or it's like him eating the wings with Seth Rogen. He's like, oh, look yeah, at, yeah, yeah. Look at us. Look, look, look at where we are. That's kind of how we were. We're like, look at us, huh? We were a bunch of we were a bunch of like you know terrible basketball players a year ago, and we're getting smacked. <laughs> and look at us now, you know. So we we definitely had that feeling of like, uh, yeah, just, just like playing with house money, and that's why it was so much fun. The next year, the pressure was too high for us. Um, you know, every shot you shot, you thought about like thought about it just a split second longer than you would have the year before. Wow. Well. In this tournament, you start off against New Mexico State. By the way, our seed that year um, in 2011-12, were we a five seed, I believe? Yeah. Yeah, which is always the dangerous game, right? The 5-12 yeah. game. It's the one that people popularly pick for the upset. And you're playing New Mexico State, which historically, very good basketball team. Yep. And what does Will Sheehy do against New Mexico State? 
He smokes him with 14 points in his first NCAA tournament game. A ball out. So I do. A ball. <laughs> you do. And you set up a game against another NCAA tournament darling. VCU, Shaka Smart. Everybody knows nobody can play against VCU. Their defense is crazy. Shaka's going to win and make his way to the NCAA Sweet 16. And it's a grinded out game. Actually, a game played on St. Patrick's Day. I only remember that because I was in New York City with a friend from Indiana, and we were going to go watch it at a St. at an Indiana bar. It was so freaking crowded. I mean, we couldn't see a goddamn thing. And we got there like an hour and a half before the game. And we both lived in Connecticut at the time. We're like, we can't do this. We got to figure out a way to get back to Connecticut to our house to see this game. We raced and made it just as the game was tipping off. Back to Connecticut to see this game. That's dedication. It's dedication. And thank God we did. Because this is a game that for, I would imagine, Will Sheehy is a game he will remember for the rest of his life. Oh, yeah. Uh, walk us through the VCU game and especially what happened at the end. Yeah, um, they, uh, yeah, they had us, man. They had us. We were like, this is going to be, you know, we, we said the same thing. Like, oh, okay, the, the havoc, okay, whatever. Like, they can play defense, congrats. Like, you know, they, <laughs> they play, what do you guys play in the horizon? Like, get out of here with that nonsense, you know. We're the, we're the big boys here. Like, so when they first came out, you're like, wow, like these guys can actually hoop. Like these guys are good players. They are athletic. They're strong. They, you know, are skilled. You, you, it was kind of took us off guard. And also like the thing about Jordan, is Jordan is not a point guard. Like he'll say this today that he's a point guard. It's so annoying because he's not a point guard. He's not a point guard. He is a shooting guard. That's just short. Okay. <laughs> and Jordan, Jordan is like the but, Jordan's the most skilled basketball player, arguably on the planet. Like this guy can do everything, make threes with right hand, left hand, all the dribbling drills, all the stuff. And he doesn't even like he's so good that I swear he's he's like probably not even practicing that much right now. <laughs> like literally that good. Like he's that good. He's that skilled. So um and he plays like the whole woe me thing, you know, which is annoying. So <laughs> he's so good. But he's so good, but he's not a point guard, right? So Green was putting in that point guard, and it was just, like, tough for him because he's not the quickest. He's not the most athletic. And, like, you get you throw two guys that are just freaking huge dogs on him, like, it's going to be hard for him to, like, make stuff happen. Where, like, Yogi was, like, the opposite, right? Like, he like he loved that. He, Yogi would rather two guys on him split it and go through, and, like, now we have, like, two-on-one, you know? So I think like we had to make some adjustments, had to calm Jordan down. Like, dude, Jordan's okay. Like, you know, he turned it over 25 times, but like, <laughs> let's not turn it over six, you know? Uh, but no, we, we just like kind of grinded it out. It was like kind of like the whole season, you know, we just kind of grinded it out. We kept belief, we kept going. And then I just did an incredible play. And that's how we won. It was me. It was me. <laughs> well, walk us through the play. Walk us through what you remember about the play. I, I genuinely, out of the entire game, only remember that play. So I should tell you what kind of person I am. So we're coming. It's like I'm running down the floor. No, I do remember, like, I, like, elbowed a dude in the face. And, like, they got, I got, like, a flagrant for it. I was like, that's, like, that's why I was like, this game is soft. So then I'm, like, coming down the wing. And I remember Vic, like, kind of not knowing time and score. And none of us did. We that like, we had the ball and had a chance to like go up or yeah, go up one or whatever. Cause we were down or it was tied, whatever it was. And, uh, kind of like an ill-advised, uh, situation by Vic and myself, like he kind of just like goes in there instead of maybe like 
maybe pulling it out, kind of waiting for like the second wave of expansion to come through. Like, okay, well, we don't really have anything right now. Like, maybe we'll have something in a second, two seconds from now, five seconds from now. He was like, kind of like, screw it, I'm gonna go take it. So, which is cool because he got blocked and it came right to me. And then I even had that thought too of like, is it too early to shoot this? Like, should I even be shooting this? It's like a long two. No one likes those, right? Like, and then I was like, screw it. Like, this is the shot that I'm really good at that everyone hates that I shoot. So I might as well just like stick it to everyone one last time. <laughs> so I shot it. Made it. it was great. Um, and then I remember like having just like play defense on the other end. I had a crazy bad communication breakdown. Dude gets a wide open look at it. Hey, he misses it. We live on. And you don't just move on, but you move on to the sweet 16, which is, I mean, yeah. you're there. It's the second weekend. You, you get to go back to Bloomington and celebrate for a week. You know, I know you're working hard to prepare, but you get to go back to Bloomington as the guys who brought Indiana back to the Sweet 16 for the first time in a decade. It, I mean, this is, we are back. That's what it felt like. We are fucking back. Uh, what, Ward usually asks this question, but I'm going to steal it from him. What's it like going back to Bloomington after you win the first weekend of the NCAA tournament when you know you're the man? Oh, we party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we threw it out. We threw it out. 100%. You know, you, you only get your time in the sun so long, right? Everyone has their five, 10 minutes. Like, you got to realize, like, that I knew that this was my time. This is my peak. I have peaked in college and it's now. I have to take advantage of this. <laughs> so, I, I definitely had a good time. Uh, definitely, like, I don't know, a couple days, maybe Tuesday, $2 Tuesdays at Roy's. I was, I probably was there. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but we definitely, uh, we definitely had a good time. And then, yeah, it was like, then it was like, all right, we gotta, we gotta like get, get ready for the next one. Um, but yeah, you know, I had a coach, Jerry Stackhouse in, uh, for Raptors 905 and he's an unbelievable coach. I love, love this guy. I think he's gonna do great things at Vanderbilt. It's only a matter of time. Um, because he would always say like, you got, I think it's like an Avery, uh, Avery, it's like, you know, when I'm going to butcher it, of course, but it's like, you gotta know when to like lock in and focus and you also got to know when to party and i think a lot of times coaches like they don't they forget that like we're humans and like yeah the coach might go home after a big win and like have a nice glass of wine or two or ten right and it's like but then the players don't like what do we do we just eat like jimmy john's like that's not like a you know that's not a fun night for us right so it's like the best part about that team i think and the other great teams i've been on it's like you know when to lock in you know when to focus and you know when to party. And then when you do that kind of repetition of partying and focusing, you know when you can do it and when you can't, you know? And, like, then it's, like, partying doesn't become that much of, like, a full pop because you're, like, oh, like, we know how to do it. Like, we, we've done it before. Like, it's stupid how I'm explaining this, but it's really no, true. It. It's, like, yeah, you, like, you know when you can recover. You know, like, mentally you got to kind of get – you got to have that release – gotta like you know so then you can like kind of refocus because you're like it's just like go on a nice vacation from work and then you come back to that next day to work and you're like all right i gotta lock in you know so it's the same kind of feeling and so i think sometimes like bad teams um they don't know when to turn it on and off and sometimes i think even bad teams don't party enough hmm. well I, I wanted to ask because it, it goes right into this and we don't need to dwell on it but your coach coach cream who we have yeah. talked to many people about and heard lots of stories. So there's no secrets here. But he clearly, yeah. tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but he clearly seems to be a guy who has no idea when to turn it off. None. And yeah, dude, he's like the most focused dude. Like he definitely is like full on 
um, like there, I will say this. If, if you want a coach that's going to put you to the next level and he's going to get the most out of you, he's going to squeeze that orange so tight and get all of that, that juice out of it. Like that's him, you know, like that is what he's good at. You know, you, as a coach, you can't be good at everything. Okay. I've had coaches who are terrible at that, but they're good guys. Like you're like, Oh yeah. Like that's a nice guy. But like, you don't really want a nice guy as a coach. You know, you want a guy that's going to push you, get the most out of you. Like even, even Bobby Knight, right? Like he's not the best coach ever. Right. Like he had some things that he could have done better. He had some things they did so well that it was like, it outshined the bad things. So it's like, well, but I think, but will I want to, yeah. because we've talked to lots of guys who played for coach and by the way, Ward and I do think he's the best coach ever, but anyway, Number one but, one. Yeah. but, but, We've actually talked to people that tell us, the people that played for him, there were times where not, what, what, what we don't know about Coach Knight is he did behind the scenes know when to pull the plug and to, to back off. Yeah. There are stories about him bringing ice cream sundaes onto Assembly Hall's court and just leaving and saying, guys, no more practice, have a party. You know, because yep. he knew, or, or, or lightening the mood with a joke on the bus because he knew he had to pull back at times because yep. it was too intense. Whereas with Chris, yeah. it seemed like the missing piece here is he had no idea when to ever regulate, whether it was the towel drill yeah. practice or just, you know, preparing for the Syracuse uh, matchup zone, which we'll talk about, uh, you know, in your, in, in your junior year. It, it just was, there does seem to be a point where a coach can squeeze the orange so tight that, that yeah. it kills it. It kills the orange yeah. instead of letting it yeah. be sweet and a nice fruit. And it does seem yeah. like that happened to you guys in your junior year. Yeah, maybe a little bit, you know, um, no one's perfect. Right. So right. like there was things the players could have done better. Right. Like, you know, sure. it's not like the coach wins or loses the game. Right. I mean, it's a combination of both. So it's like, Oh yeah, maybe coach Green's game plan against a two, three zone wasn't incredible, but also like, we're grown adults at this point in time, like most of us on the team at least. And like, you think it's the first time we saw a two-three zone in our life, and we shit the bed that hard. Like, that also on us too. It's like, oh really, IU basketball players who think you're so good and you're number one team in the country, you can't beat a zone. Like, that's where you're at. So it's not like everyone's a blame cream. Like, oh the game plan's like, what would you do? What's your game plan? Like, you know, you <laughs> over you overload the zone. Like, that's what the game plan is. You literally shoot better from three than the other team and you win games like yeah it's not like basketball's not that complicated but so but to go back to yeah. your earlier point about why the 11 12 season was so fun and the 12 13 season yeah. was not fun um clearly yeah. some of that pressure just comes from the outside it comes from us as fans yeah we expected a national yeah. championship that year no doubt about it that's your guys fault your fault it is our fault we'll take it Team but effort uh, well, well, yeah. Well, it, before we skip ahead to junior year, so you do you you do have this rematch with Kentucky, right. um, and first of all, I think Crean's the kind of guy who doesn't go home and have a glass of wine or two. I feel like he goes home, puts on a pot of coffee, drinks it in one yeah. go, and then starts breaking down film. Exactly. Uh, counting, he goes back and starts counting deflections. <laughs> but, yeah, no, accurate. He's like that for sure. <laughs> So, so you guys go and look, it, it's the team that's going to go ahead and, and win it all. And, and you can't pull the rabbit out of the hat twice, but, yeah. but, but it was such a successful season by every measure in the off season. Christian's going to go to the ESPYs for the watch shot. You know, it was just really a beautiful return to the national spotlight for the program. But after that Kentucky loss, already the hype and the pressure starts to mount when, you know, 
Vic's, you know, obviously coming back. Cody decides he's going to. So how yeah. do you guys how do you guys go into the offseason? What do you do in the summer to start to prepare for now incredibly high expectations? Is it a different mindset for that offseason? Yeah. No, I definitely remember right after the season ended um, that ESPN came out some article and it was like re- like the pre way too early rankings, you know, of the season, the preseason. It had us at number one. And we're like, oh, man, like, we're, this is for real. Like, you know, we thought like, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe like kind of where we, you know, we finished the Sweet 16. So we probably somewhere around there, right? It was like, no, this, this team's going to be the best team in college basketball this year. And so that whole offseason was like kicked up a notch for sure. Like from Green, from us, everyone, it was like, then Yogi comes in, right? So he changes the whole dynamic too, because he's just like another McDonald's All-American that you're going to add. And he's like kind of a missing piece that we didn't have from Jordan as like a playmaking, like, you know, and Jordan's game could flourish with Yogi being, Jordan being off the ball. So yeah, that offseason was wild. Like we definitely had fun, but we definitely, um, we did our thing for sure. We, we, I don't want to dwell on it, but that was the year of the movement. And uh, yeah. Yogi is the head of it. And we have heard about like the first time that the movement arrived on campus where you guys played them in kind of like an open gym. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Me and Yogi and I got into it. Did you guys get to do it in that game? Yeah, Yogi and I did. Yeah. But Yogi's my dude too. Like he'll, he, he'll, uh, it's, um, that's why I like him because he's like kind of the same way. But yeah, it was like he was like, they came in and like it was like you know they were like selling t-shirts and shit like it was wild and it was like dude like we're the number one team in the country like was like that much of you guys like it, it, it it's partially partially because of you yogi yeah you're you're an awesome player you come in and you're gonna be that next level but we're not chopped liver over here it's not like you guys are like pushing us to where we you know new heights um so yeah it was kind of like a reality check for both sides you know it was like it was like yogi was like damn like these guys are serious and we were like damn yogi's kind of serious and now was it this off season when because you told us this on the last time when we had the reunion when was the jay williams visit to indiana oh yeah that 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 year yeah so to we don't have to do the whole thing but for those that didn't listen last time jay williams of duke fame uh comes to Indiana at the invite of Coach Cream, and I guess because he's working for ESPN at this point, is that right? Yeah. And plays an open gym, or plays in practice with you guys in scrimmage. What, walk us through yeah. what you remember about that. Yeah, man, he was talking trash, talking too much trash from my liking, you know? And, uh, and you know, we had this thing where if you made the winning basket in a, in a pickup game, you played the five, whoever scored the fifth basket, you had to make a free throw to, like, validate it. Gave, like, you know, more importance to free throws, which I was horrendous at, and just, like, things like that, you know? So it kind of created, like, a little pressure environment. And so him and I were jawing back and forth, back and forth. Cause, I don't know, he just had this, like, Duke energy about him that I just didn't like. And yeah. yeah. I was also, you know, like he went to Duke, wanted to go to Duke kind of thing. And so I remember, and he's like 35 at the time. Like, I don't know what I'm doing talking to this guy like this, but um, he's like, he's just trying to have like a nice exercise. And I like banged in the free throw because he was like, you know, he's a smart guy. And he's like, oh, well, your free throw percentage is trash. You're going to miss this free throw kind of thing because I made like the game winning basketball. And, uh, so yeah, I like bank it in. Like I gave him a lot of <laughs> And then afterwards, uh, 
next morning, Crean's like, everyone, like, we have a, um, a meeting like at 10 or whatever in the morning. Um, it's important. Like, you know, I'm like pissed at you guys. So we're like, oh shit. So we go to the meeting. The meeting is like, you guys aren't taking pickup basketball seriously. And at this point in time, like we are. And he's like, you guys aren't taking pickup basketball seriously. Like I'm changing the rules. Like we're going to be doing more conditioning and less pickup. Like blah, blah, blah. we're all pissed. And we're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, well, I talked to Jay Williams and he said that you guys were like banking in free throws. Um, and like, of course, everyone looks at me like, well, you're, you're such an idiot. And I, instead of feeling bad, I just anger out on Jay the next day. And because um, Kareem was like, I'm going to give you guys one more chance. Like, don't mess it up. So I'm going to let you guys play and keep playing. So the next day, that, that same, that day we had a meeting, we had the pickup game again. Sure enough, same thing happens. I score, I score a, I score a game-winning basket. Jay's on the other team, and uh, I banked it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to make it. I, I couldn't sleep. I was like, I'm going to play today, and I'm going to make a game-winning basket, and I'm going to bank it. Like I knew, like it, it, you could have paid me a million dollars not to bank it. I was going to bank it. So yeah, then I don't think Jay really Jay uh, likes me after that. That's <laughs> right. As you get into the season now, you're number one. You got the target on your back. How do yeah. you guys have to uh, adjust your mentality from being the upstarts, the guys who are on the come up, to now you're the guy everybody's gunning for? Do, do you have to make a shift mentally to, to prepare for people coming after you like that? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, you, yeah you, I mean, because it's like – every game that you lose, that's their biggest game of the season. The same way that like when we would beat someone and they're like, Oh my God, we lost to Indiana. It was like our highlight, you know, it's like people like would talk about it on podcasts like this. Right. So we're like, <laughs> we don't want to be that team. We don't want to be that team. And sure enough, we were that team like half the time. <laughs> now, the other thing that happens before that year is you make a personal change and you shift from your number 10 to number zero, becoming really the first Indiana player to wear zero. I mean, you, you took it from Corey, right? Because Corey yes. had become moved on to the staff, but Corey didn't really play. What was that about? Did you What was the number zero to you? Well, I always wanted zero. So then I get to, I, I'm like, I get there. I always want funny numbers because it's just like, I don't know, like who wants to wear a number 30? Like, I, I was going to say a, a bad number. I say 13, <laughs> that's my buddy Austin. I love him. I love, I love Austin. I don't know. Who's going to want to wear like a boring number? Like, I don't know, 22. Like, that's boring. Like, don't you want a guy that's going to like not give a shit? Some funny number. So I was like, I wanted to wear like 55 and or like, you know, like something crazy like that. Um, and so I was like, all right, I want to wear, I want to wear zero. And then I get to IU and they're like, I talked to Corey about it. I'm like, yo, can I wear a zero? And he's like, man, I've been wearing zero. Like, I like zero a lot. And Corey's like my homie homie. So I'm like, yeah, okay, Corey. Like, it's cool. Like, you can wear it. I'll just wear 10. It's boring. Like, because there was like, I don't know. There's only so many numbers you can pick from at IU. Like, Kareem doesn't want you wearing 55. So <laughs> I was like, all right. Like, I'll wear 10. Um, and then sure enough, like, the second Corey graduates, I'm like, Kareem, you let Corey wear it? You, you let Corey wear zero? You were going to let me wear zero. And he's like, yeah, well, <laughs> well this I, I, go ahead well, i just wanted to talk a little bit about you know you, you did mention earlier about vic's growth and i think as we did get into the season cody coming back was huge everybody was like okay that's great he's naturally going to progress they'd seen how you guys had been taking these steps forward but as that that junior season got going 
I mean, I remember at one point, Vic, you know, got a step on somebody and threw it down late in the game. And I don't know if it was, I don't think it was Eric. I looked to somebody and I said, he might be better than Cody. You know, not, not yeah. something anybody we saw coming, but he just kept doing it yeah. as the season was going. When did you know Vic had taken himself from a player exceeding expectations coming into like, oh my God, this guy's going to be a lottery pick. Yeah, like somewhere in that off season, um, we would play in like these programs and stuff, and like we just like would play pickup games and like coaches and or coaches like pros and um, you know guys like Jay Williams would come to the gym, and it was like, dude, Vic would be dogging some of these guys, like real NBA dudes, like real NBA dudes. Vic is like blowing by them, dunking, picking their pockets, blocking the shots, like, and then you just realize like, now nah, this dude's for real, and then. Throughout the season, he just got better and better. But it was like that offseason knew that he was like that dude. Well, the other guy that's taking another step forward is Will Sheehy, who for the third year is increasing his points per game, rebounds per game. You end your junior year averaging 9.5 points, 3.5 rebounds. In, and this is what I want to ask you about. In only 22 minutes a game, which, by the way, not enough minutes. Not enough. It's, it's actually one-tenth of a minute less than your sophomore year. Did you Crazy. expect going into your junior year that you would play more? And was that a frustration oh, yeah. for you throughout that year? Yeah, for sure. Because uh, Verdell got hurt my sophomore year, and then I got kind of thrown into the starting lineup at that point. And I was playing pretty well toward the end of the season. I was at the end of games. Like, you know, felt like I was I was in the lineup. Um, then Yogi comes in. I think that was kind of like the people – I wanted to start and I knew that Yogi was better than me and I knew that Yogi was going to start. And I just like, I knew it was going to happen. I, I knew I like, could see the puzzle. I saw the pieces. Like Jordy is the homegrown kid from Bloomington. He's just here. Like they're not going to bring him off the bench, nor should he have. Yogi's a McDonald's All-American from Indiana. He's going to start. And then I started looking at the lineup going down. Like I'm not better than Vic, so I'm not going to play that position, right? Like I'm not forward. I'm not better than Watt definitely not going to play center. So it was kind of like, shit, where am I going to play? I guess I'm going to be six man. And at that point, I just kind of had to own it. Well, well own it, you did. Well, well and I, I think the sixth man has gotten, you know, a, a little cooler in time when you look at, at um, the guys coming off in the NBA as really like sixth yeah. man specialists. So I wonder if, if you embrace that and also – the fact that you couldn't find a way into the starting lineup. You seem like a guy who probably plays even better with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. So did that help fuel you when yeah. you did get in the game? Yeah, no, hundred percent. hundred percent. I was always like, yeah, yeah like I, told you, I used to play games with my screen. Good enough. Like I, my teammates don't think I'm good enough to start. Like that guy thinks he's better than me in the lineup. Like, you know, so I always have to like get myself like mentally prepared just to like beat the other team, but also like beat, our own team in my own head and um yeah so i was just like kind of liked it and then i started like just like googling six men like who who are they in the nba what do they do how do they play things like that and then like Manu ginobili became my favorite player because nice. of it and i like like the way that like he came off the bench fire plug amazing player like did everything the team and coach needed and like you could you could say that Manu ginobili was not one of the best five best players in that team you know right. so that's kind of what i wanted I wanted that same type of recognition of like you pick the five best players on my team and I just wanted to be in it. I don't care what how much minutes I play, I want to be known as like a good player on my team. Well, here we are ranked number one in the country preseason. 
season starts off, you're blowing out bad teams for the most part. You do play Georgetown, who wasn't ranked, and it went to overtime. You win the game. Uh, but then we're 5-0, and maybe 5 or 6-0, and and it's the ACC Big Ten Challenge against North Carolina. A blue blood, like another chance to see, okay, is this team really good? And yeah. you guys smoke them. I mean, absolutely smoke them. And you have one of your best games as an Indiana Hoosier. 19 points, five rebounds, two assists off the bench, again, in, in limited minutes. Uh, what do you remember about that game? I mean, it just sounds like, based on this podcast, that I didn't play it up. <laughs> so, North Carolina, you smoke them. You turn in one of your best performances. Again, you go to Purdue, and what do you do? Seven points, seven assists, which I believe is your college high at Indiana. And then, and then let's get to – oh, by the way – we have to go back for a second because we did not talk about the dunk. I mean, when Iowa, you, yeah. we talked about it being being nominated for dunk of the year, but just walk us through. That was your freshman year, right? Yeah, I set the bar a little too high for myself. Come on, tell us, walk <laughs> us through that play. Walk us through that play and what it felt like oh, this, just the moment after. Yeah, it's like, it's the best feeling in the world. Like, essentially, you can reenact it if you just, like, set up a goal at your house, very small. Just put, like, a small child underneath the basket. Just dunk on that person as hard as you can. And, like, it kind of feels very similar. Uh, I mean, and then you can do, like, some audio, some some fan. I, I need I need 17,000 people yeah, going right, crazy. Right. Yeah. Have you ever dunked on anyone in practice, in a pickup game, anything like that dunk? Not that, not, not as good as that, no. Because what happens sometimes um, is, like, if you jump and someone else jumps at the same time, it's almost like the, what's the dirty dancing one where he kind of holds the, you know? Yes. You, you actually get, like, bumped up higher, and it's, it's, it's real. So, like, like the, the, Tom, the Tom Chambers one where he's, like, his neck is at the oh, rim. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so you actually. handed where his knees are in yeah, the guy's his neck. knees at the rim, right? He doesn't really jump that high. It's that he jumps, but then the person, like, sees the, the guy coming at him and they kind of sometimes put their arms like their hands like this or you just like hit them in a certain like elbow or shoulder and it actually bumps you up like another two three four five inches and so um yeah that's what happened i jumped and i was like i'm gonna try to dunk this it's probably not gonna but i might get fouled you know so like i might as well just try to go for it so i crank it back and sure enough like the perfect energy of this guy like jumping but then he like kind of turns and i kind of like boosted off his shoulder and then just hammered it it was sensational your eyes got about yay big yeah. walking down the court. And, I and it's just one of those expressions where what you were feeling was the same that everybody watching that game was like, whoa, shit, did that just happen? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was not expecting to actually throw it down. It's like, I'm just going to go try and see what happens. And then it's like, I was surprised of that like boost feeling of like, I was so high. I felt like I, I was like looking down at the rim. It's never happened before. I was like, what did I just do kind of thing? Let's not talk about the fact that the team shit the bed the rest of the game and we lost the game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I missed, like, big free throws that game. Oh, I can't remember. That. Well, I, you know what? I want to talk to you. I don't, I don't remember anything else about that game. <laughs> exactly. Will. But wait, Will, I want to talk to you about free throws because okay. you mentioned it on your VCU shot. Yeah. The thing I loved about your game is you had the best mid-range shot that I remember in Indiana the last 20 years. I mean – Literally, Cal's was pretty good though. <laughs> well, no, I was just gonna say, Cheney, yeah. the guy yeah. that you so connected with, yeah. has the best mid-range shot of all time. Of all time. And but you, there's been very few guys in Indiana that have been able to reliably make that shot. And you are the because you're kind of an anti-hero, which I really yeah. like. 
you're the anti-analytics guy. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, they don't want you shooting that shot. Yeah. But the free throw is a mid-range shot. Yeah. What so, is it about the free throw? Yeah, let me break it down for you. So I actually, towards the end of my career, became a really good free throw shooter professionally. But in college, a couple things. One is you're nervous, right? Like, you're up there, and you're shooting this free throw. And, like, the, guy, the game kind of stops at that point. And, like, the guys are, like, mentally stronger to be, like, you know, um, like Cody was always like, it's just another shot. But like, to me, it was like, when then once you miss one or two in a row, then you kind of get like the Charles Barkley, like hiccup kind of thing where you're like, right. am I actually a bad free throw shooter? Like, is this actually like a thing? Cause in, in high school, I was a great free throw shooter. So it was like the combination of like me being nervous. Then another thing was like on my actual jump shot, I jumped so high to shoot it. Yes. And then I get to the free throw line and I'm actually like, I'm actually shooting a different shot. Like, it's not my real jump shot. I mean, everyone, no one shoots a flat-footed jump shot. But, like, like Jordan doesn't really shoot that high, jump that high. Cody barely jumps, like, in, like this much on his actual jump shot. Right. Um, so, I think that was part of it, too, is, like, I'm actually at the practice, like, this new thing. And it was more mental than anything. But still, it was, like, part of that of, like, can I not shoot this because I'm not jumping? And it was, like, a whole thing. And then, like, Crean would kind of get in my head. And, like, the other coaches would kind of get in my head rightfully so because they're like okay statistically this guy's a shitty free throw shooter like let's work with him on it and then it was like the more i worked on it it's almost like the worse it got by the way yeah. you weren't that shitty i mean you were you were like like right around 70 or just under that's bad dude but for did you guard did you ever think about jumping for your free throw oh absolutely i, I thought about everything like i thought about jumping i thought about like moving back a little bit like yeah. the side side Grant, granny shot ever factor? No, I'm, not, I'm never that one. I'm not that bad. I'm not. I'm not my boy Tom Fritch. <laughs> but before before we move on, it just makes me so happy to talk about Calbert Cheney and Will Sheehy, like two two players from different eras happened to line up at the same time yeah. that he came back and you were there and you talked about how he helped you guys as a team mentally going into NC State yep. and that whole season. Can you just talk a little bit more about what his role was with the team and the kind of relationship you you and Calbert had? Yeah, so Cal came on just kind of like as um, like a bridge between – I think what happens is like Indiana basketball has so much money that they're like, we don't really know what to do with it, so let's just like <laughs> – uh, We can't give it to players, so let's like just kind of find ways to like spend it. So Cal came on as like, um, yeah, as like a kind of in-between guy that would like help the players with stuff. If we ever had any like off the court issues, which we all did, right? Like how we deal with it, you know, talk to, like be a soundboard. He was pretty much like a soundboard. And like guys, like his role became so important. Like you don't realize how much like that means to guys because you, as much as you want to be friends with your head coach, like it's a, like, it's like your boss. Like there's like a work relationship there where Cal was almost like another player to us. Um, and if we were like super tired or super stressed or whatever, we kind of sounded off him. And then he would also give us like good insight on like what practice is going to be like. So we'd be like, Cal, like, is it going to be like tough practice? And he'd be like, yeah, guys, like get ready for it. You know? So he gave us like that, like breath of um, like fresh air, you know? You know, the other thing you mentioned to us on the reunion thing that I, I've been thinking about a lot because it's not something I typically think about. I don't think fans do. You talked about how, like, look, everybody needs to realize with coaches, especially head coaches, their livelihood is on the line yeah. every game. Yeah. And they know that. And so the, the pressure that they feel, obviously, there's an old saying that shit rolls downhill, right? Yeah. So you feel pressure. And the assistant coaches obviously feel pressure because they're not making the millions of dollars. Like, their their livelihoods are on the line. Yeah. But then you have Calvert Cheney, yeah. whose livelihood is not on the line. Like, 
Calvert made his money. He's doing now what he wants to do in life, you know? So there has to be, like, you know that too. So there has to be a freedom of that relationship that that affords. Dude, you're, you nailed it. Like, that's exactly what happened. Um, and we might, may, maybe we're too young to understand it, but like, that's what was coming through the cracks. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the coaches all want to be your friend, but this, at the end of the day, like they have families, they have wives, children, they got, uh, you know, they have bills they have to pay. And it, 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 and it correlates with how much like effort and how locked in and dedicated you are to what you, what they're doing as well. Cause they're, they're locked in as well. So it's definitely like an interesting dynamic of like trying to get your kid to like do his laundry when it's like, he doesn't want to, you know, like we don't want to, no kid wants to go to practice. Like practice sucks, right? Like you want to play in the games, you want to just like party, like a chill, hang out. And like the coaches want you to do like the complete opposite of that. So it's like, it's definitely this like pulling of back and forth and Calvert was like, was like great. You could like study the ship with that. Like you're, you're, you're so right. And it, it's got to help that, that when this guy's giving you this big brotherly advice, you're also in the back of your mind, like, this guy scored more oh. points than anybody else in Big Ten history. Yeah. Did you ever did you ever get to see a little bit out, out of that out on the court? Even though he's at this point he's 40, did you still get to see some of that that juice? Dude, on the hell floor? yeah. Dude, when those guys are that good, when they're that good, they're they never you never like drop it off. Like like they're still so good. Like him, and then it's funny because he played with Jerry Stackhouse, who, which was in my coach later in my career as well. And like they are both better at 40 than I am right like right now by <laughs> far like by far like you put stack or Calvert right now in like an NBA dealy game and they're scoring double digits easy wow wow easy. wow That's like awesome. they're that they're that good like Cal would play Cal would play because he wasn't allowed to be on the court with us like because NCAA is crazy right. he couldn't cool. coach so right. dumb so he would like play with the managers like after and we'd watch him and it was just like that lefty, like just smooth. Well, every, everything lefty basketball players do just looks cooler. Like and totally. secret, secretly every righty wants to be a lefty. Totally. I could not agree with you. My daughter exhibited some lefty tendencies like when she was really young. I'm like, that's it. Let's go on the court. You're playing left-handed. You're going to yeah. throw a baseball left-handed. Everything is better lefty. Golf swings, everything looked better lefty. Yeah, I'm actually a lefty. Is that true? Yeah, but as a young kid, you know, I saw my dad and my uncle and my friends in my neighborhood all doing everything with their right hand. So, like, I just started throwing it in my right because I just, like, that's what, I, that's what you do. You know, you throw with your right, you kick with your right, whatever. But I am a, I'm a lefty in terms of, like – Do you uh, write lefty? Yeah, yeah, right, eat, all that. Wow. See, see, I forget. I had this conversation with somebody. I don't think it was you on the reunion pod – but this idea of cross dominance, mm. because I write left-handed, I dribble left-handed, but I shoot right-handed, I throw right-handed. And that it's like, I'm not ambidextrous, yeah. but it's just some hands are better than the other, but you are a true lefty and just went against that because of your environment? Yeah, I would say like most of the, yeah, yeah. I'm probably like a deep down true lefty, um, but I just like do sports related things with my right, I think, um, mainly. But yeah, I'm definitely like anything other than sports, like, I don't know, like billiards and darts and stuff, like I'm left. I am right dominated, except for one thing. Let's move on. All right. Um, okay. So, a stranger. So, stop a stranger. it. Stop it. Let's just move on. All right. So, um, so that you're number one in the country. You're smoking teams. You're, you're really turning in some incredible performances. Um, but I got, let's focus in on this idea of an athlete being in the zone. Yeah. It's yeah. rare. It, 
it, when it happens, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And on February 16th, against arch rival Purdue, one Will Sheehy enters the zone. Yeah. Walk us through that game. Yeah, you know, like you said how the coaches, it kind of like trickles downhill. Like your confidence when you start making shots like goes the other way. And so that was kind of what happens. Like, and my dad would always call me after games and tell me shit. He'd always be like, when you have a dunk early in the game, you have your best games of your career. And if you like miss a dunk or miss an easy shot early in the game, like you have your worst games. And I didn't even realize it. And it's just like a mental like checking box that you have in your brain where it's like everything just feels better when like when they say like, oh, he's gonna go to the free throw line and catch his rhythm a couple times. Like that's a real thing. Like you literally shoot it to the free throw line too many times, watch the thing go in, and he's like, Okay, okay, you know, like you get let a guy get a couple easy baskets early in the game, like you're you're setting yourself up for failure. So that's what was happening at Purdue. Just like scored a couple times, starting to feel good about myself, saw the ball go in, and like my shots were all around the rim, mostly like dunks, layups, tip ins, stuff like that. So it was like, then once you start bringing it out, you already have that confidence of like, I haven't missed a shot today. Like, I might as well shoot like this, right? Like, you know, fortunate for me, I never missed. Did you know either near the end of the game or right after that you had set a record? I definitely knew that something was going on. Um, I knew, I definitely knew that I didn't miss. Everyone knows how many shots they take. <laughs> I was like, definitely like, I haven't missed yet. Coach is not drawing up plays for me. And I haven't fucking missed. Like, why aren't I getting the ball every time down the court? I don't know. But yeah, I remember getting checked out of the game. And then I think I was sitting next to Cody or someone was like, yo, congrats, bro. It's like, what? They're like, we've been sitting here talking about it for like the past five minutes. Like, you just set a record tonight. I was like, oh shit. Like, what was it? He's like, you, you didn't miss. And you, I think the last guy who did it, he just made like seven in a row or eight or something. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, man. It's really cool. It's really cool. Uh, the season you're kicking butt, you hit some bumps in the road at the end. The, the biggest, obviously not the biggest bump of the season, but one of the biggest is when you had senior day and a chance to wrap up the big 10 championship, which again, the year before you went to the sweet 16, which felt like we're back, but we yeah. haven't won the big 10 championship outright in like 25 years. Yep. And it felt like, oh, my God, we get to do it on senior day against Ohio State. Yeah. And it doesn't happen. And yeah. Cody on the reunion thing talked a little bit about how the end of the year, it just didn't feel right. Yeah. That, that, and I think you mentioned, too, about how the last year was so much fun. But you had the Ohio State game. You barely squeaked by Temple. There's another loss in there, maybe the Illinois game or something like that. I we think lost we lost Wisconsin and Big Ten Oh, Wisconsin, right, Big Ten Tournament. I think we lose three out of our last five games. Yeah. Um, what did it feel like for you at the end of that season? Yeah, I think it was like um, we knew that we were good, but maybe had a little bit of self-doubt, you know, um, where like we weren't as good as we thought we were maybe two months ago. Um, and I think there's a lot of pressure of like, you know, everyone being like, this is the year, you know, like this is it. If it doesn't happen this year, it's not going to happen for another 20 years, whatever, right? So we were like, oh, shit, right? you know, we got it. We got to do it, like, you know? And so I think there's a lot of that. I think another thing is like Dick and Cody, like they already knew they were getting drafted, like top five, you know, like they, they were kind of playing with house money too, but it was almost like, you know, who really cares if you win the national championship, if you got a paycheck coming of $5 million, hmm. like right now I'm a junior in college. They say, well, you're going to make $5 million or I used to win the national championship. Where do I sign? I'm cashing out. Like, Throw me right. the bag, right? So I think there's, like, a lot of – like, Cody and Vic, I don't think they, like, played any worse or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But it was kind of, like, this thing of – like, everyone kind of already had their chips, like, 
you know? We was like, huh? It's like, why can't the season be over already, right? There's so much pressure the whole year. There was so much, like, you know, media around us. And, like, it was almost like we got spoiled and we were just, like, kind of sick of, like, doing it. We were just like, when can this be over? And we just wanted everything to, like, kind of, like, be, we, just, we wanted just to be at the national championship game and play for the national championship. And I think, like, the bubble kind of popped at that Michigan game. Like, after we won the Big Ten championship, it was like, ah, we did it. And we didn't do shit. Like, who cares if we win a Big Ten championship? Like, got to win the Big Ten. So I think I think we just put too many eggs in that basket of like we gotta win the Big Ten championship and we did. But I think after we did that, like I think guys were just kind of like, eh, we did it. Like I had a great year. Like season's coming over. I don't know. That's the vibe I got. Well, at least. Yeah, because I I wonder, and of course, uh, old IU fans like ourselves know how much Coach Knight was against the Big Ten tournament. And I wonder if, ooh, you kind of stumbled towards the end of conference play, but you pulled it out. Hooray. Now we got to go play this bullshit conference tournament that really doesn't matter. Does that just kind of drain both the energy and the focus? And then when you end up losing in the second round, then maybe it saps a little bit of confidence too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember going to the Big Ten championship or Big Ten tournament game and a guy who was a really good player on our team, a really good player on our team, um, I remember sitting next to him in the locker room and he was like, I don't feel like playing. And I remember being like, we're losing tonight. Like, we're going to lose. Like, if that's how one guy feels, there's 10 that feels the same, you know? So I remember just feeling like, this isn't fun. Like, who cares if we win or we don't? Um, yeah, you want to beat the other opponent. But it was almost like, at that point in time, another thing is like, your body hurts. Like, you're tired. Like, it's, a, it's just such a grind that you're like, okay, we're in the Big Ten Championship. Like, what really happens? Like, as, as players, as players, like, you're not, I'm not getting a bonus. Like, I'm not getting, like, you know, a new flat screen TV. Like, there's nothing that happens for me. Like, it's just like, oh, the fans are happier. Like, that's cool. But, like, you know, we'd rather just rest. Like, our rolled ankles, our pulled hammies, all that, our sore knees. Let those things rest. Get ready for the big dance. And then it's like, all right, now I'm playing for a national championship, not, like, a big thing championship. Who won the big championship last year? Like, tournament. Yeah. Not Indiana. That's I don't know. I know. Do you know like who won two years ago? Like, does anyone even know who wins that thing anymore? Again, not Indiana. Oh, only only the team that won it probably remembers. Right. We if if IU had ever won the Big Ten tournament, about. we definitely yeah. would remember. Remember, I'd be wearing the T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you make the NCAA tournament, and will again in some of the biggest games, the most intense games, the most yeah. important games, you have your best performances. Uh, you start off against like a common team here. I don't know. It is a common theme. You score 15 points against James Madison in the 116 game. No big deal. And then you play a round two game, a dangerous game, against a Temple team that isn't really that good. But Temple always is tough. They always play games yeah. tough. They're one of those tournament teams you never really want to see. And it is a grinder of a game. Yeah. And it's just not the same Indiana team, truthfully, that we saw True. at the beginning of the year. Sure. Um, by the way, I have to just interrupt because while you were talking about Calvert, I texted him oh, to yeah? say, Will is on the show and he's raving about you. And Calvert just responded with several exclamation marks. He's such a good kid. That's right. There you go, man. He's your guy. Pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That uh, uh, so it just didn't feel like the same Indiana team. Vic hits a big three at the end of that Temple game. You, again, turn in a huge game. We don't win the game without you. Ten points when not many people are scoring in double figures in that game, low-scoring game. And we get back to the Sweet 16 where we are facing Syracuse, a school that you wanted to go to at one point and didn't give you the time of day. Yeah. 
what were your feelings going into that game? Was it similar to the Big Ten tournament where you were just ready a little bit, something in the back of your mind, just like the relief of the season ending might be good? I mean, I definitely feel like there was a lot of that. Like, I mean, I'm not just sitting here and be like, oh, well, I wasn't like that. I mean, I wasn't. Like, I had way more to play for in college than I did afterwards. Like, I knew I'm not an NBA lottery pick. Like, I knew that I'm not going to go, like, after basketball and get, like, this crazy, awesome job with this huge company, you know? Like, I don't go to Kelly School of Business, you know? So it's like all my eggs were, like, at, in that basket of, like, mm-hmm. I got to play at IU. And this is, like, this is my glory days. Like, this is what I got to do, you know? So there wasn't really, like, I, I'm not – everyone looks on to the next game, the next opponent, whatever. I mean, but I wasn't necessarily doing that because, like, what was I looking forward to, like, going over to right. some country, like, whatever, you know? So, yeah, I think I think our confidence took a huge hit um, the game before that. Um, you know, we kind of got bailed out, you know? Watt made a huge play, like he does, um, and Dick made a huge play, and besides that, like, that game was pretty shitty. So I think we all were kind of like, maybe we're not clicking on all cylinders as we think we are and you know we read the fans that stuff we read the school newspaper you know like we listen to espn when they're like oh, is indiana not really that good so I don't let's know. also say this because i think this does get overlooked yeah and i know he's small and not the most athletic but to beat a zone you do have to shoot from the outside pretty yeah. well yeah. and jordan holes is the best three-point shooter besides Steve Alford, maybe in the history of Indiana University. And he was hurt. And he was a shell of his former self. And because of the shortcomings of just Jordan's lack of size and athleticism, if he can't shoot at full capacity, he's not the player. That yeah, that, oh, dude, Jordy's a, a tough little dude, man. Like he gives off this like church boy thing, but dude, he he he's a he's a tough dude. And he was playing through an injury that a lot of guys would not have played through, like. I can't remember what it was exactly. It was something to do with the shoulder or something. But yeah. like, I mean, he was, he was messed up for a long time after that. So, and I think he even did, well, didn't Ward didn't he tell us he tore a pec muscle? Yeah, and I I'm, and I thought it kind of compounded. Yeah. It was off an earlier injury, and it got worse. Yeah. And yeah, he was he was not not the Jordy we've yeah. grown to know and love. I remember him dealing with that injury like the whole season, and it was like he did something in the, one of the games that just made it like that much worse. Um, but yeah, so like. Jordan didn't play well, of course, and, you know, you need games, a big game from him. Also, like, you know, you got to attack the zone from the middle there, and you got to put a guy like me, to be honest, like right at that free throw line area who can make that shot, who can make plays out of it. And I don't think that, like, Cody was that comfortable at that. Um, he wasn't. He doesn't play at that, that area of the floor, right? Cody so, had taken maybe five jump shots his entire right. Indiana career. I mean, right. now, the if thing he kept wanting, but he it was not in his game right. at that point. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. And, like, it'd be like asking me to just, like, go out there and fire threes. Like, I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm not going to like it, you know? So, I think, like, everyone was kind of just playing a little bit out of position. Jordan was playing out of position because he's hurt. Cody's not playing out of position because he's usually just, like, back to the basket, like, you know, facing guys up, like, one-on-one kind of stuff. Um, And then Vic, same thing. It's like he's used to, like, playing out of the closeout, like, you know, whatever. And now he's playing. It's it's just like different. It's smart. Syracuse is smart. I'm the coach. I'm playing two threes out like in college. Guys don't know how to attack it. It's different. It's a change of pace. It's why Syracuse always makes the tournaments. All why they always do well. It's because of that. Um, they essentially create a playbook that we have probably a hundred plays, and then all of a sudden we play Syracuse and we have two, like mm-hmm. for free. 
you know, like and and you have a coach and a system that's been there forever, and he's recruited to yeah. it. And he's guys that that have seven and a half foot wingspans, even if they're the same height as you. So you have to take into that account of like just matchups yeah. too, especially in a single elimination tournament where it's just like, damn, if you'd been in another bracket yeah. and somebody else maybe had gotten rid of them, you could have ran it. But it's one of those ones where, when you look back at it, is there something you personally, the team as a whole? or even looking at the coaching staff, you're like, shit, if we'd done that, we could have cracked the code or was the deck just stacked against you any way you cut it? I think we could have just like, uh, we could have just made everything less complicated, you know, like as players, it was like, oh, how are we going to do this against the zone? And then a cream was like, oh, how are we going to do it against the zone? And it was always like the fans, what are we going to do against the zone, the zone, the zone, the zone. And I think we kind of psyched ourselves out. Like we almost like, all of us were playing like, uh, you take it. Uh, right you know? and so no one was really like that comfortable because i think we kind of psyched ourselves out mentally before even like stepping onto the court like we should have been like fuck syracuse like we're better we're gonna beat them like we're gonna just do what we do like who cares like oh zone yeah go stay in the corner let's make some threes like whatever right we didn't have that swag we were like we just didn't have that swag it's my fault it's, it's funny but it's funny you say that because it is almost to a to the verb what watford said yeah you talked to see what he said the same exact thing he's like we were the number one team in the country. Like we should, we should have just done what we do. Yeah. And it's funny because the critique of cream since that game, which for many people kind of cemented that he was not the guy truthfully. Yeah. Um, but it some of it is unfair because people are like, Oh, he didn't know how to plan for the zone. And right. in talking to you and see what, what they, what see said was it wasn't that he didn't know plan. He planned too much for the zone. Yeah. Yeah. That you guys drilled it so yeah. much that it became almost robotic and it wasn't like you guys and Cody mentioned it on the reunion. Just you had so much talent on that team. Just yeah. go play. Yeah. Just at some point, you do have to roll the ball out and be back in South Florida on the blacktop playing the team from the other town 100%. and just punch them in the face. Hundred percent. Yeah. And and that didn't happen. No, you're so right. It's just, yeah, you you nailed it. That's it. I mean, that's I remember our assistants so were you, like our assistants were like, oh like We'd be playing and they'd be like, oh, that's not going to work. Like next week, like it's not going to work. Uh, Syracuse is going to swat that shot. Like it's not going to work, you know? And we were all like, Sinks. like, and it was like they were making it seem like we were the underdogs. Like I definitely remember right. Titus being like, this team is going to beat your ass. And we're being, we're being like, what? And sure enough, like, I mean, the like, you right. Well, maybe a self fulfilling prophecy, though. <laughs> maybe. You know what I mean? They talk you into it so much, like you get psyched out, like you said. Yeah. So the year ends in disappointing fashion and really um, an era ends because so many guys are leaving that team. Not just Vic and Cody who both decide, decide to leave early, but losing Siwat, losing Jordy, losing Elston. You are losing the heart. And, and truthfully, Maurice Creek was already, was, was already on his way out too. You know, he was on that he left, he left that same year. He left that year too. That mm -hmm. core of the rebuild was really that you and Vic were like the the you know two big pieces. It's really just you left now yeah. and Yogi, and who was a freshman. But what was that like for you? Because now you know you're starting. A lot's going to be expected of you, yeah. and it is a totally new team. 
What was that just like for you in that offseason? Were you excited by it becoming your team? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I was like, I was like, I'm going to the NBA. Like I'm about. To, oh, I score. I scored nine points a game, ten points a game in twenty minutes. I'm about to get thirty. I'm about to score twenty a game. Like I'm about to kill. This is gonna be lit. Like give me the points. Put me on ESPN. Like I'm ready. You know. Right. And then I realized like that it's not that easy, right? Like your production doesn't just. It's not. It's not as analytic as people think. Like just because right. you score in that amount of time, like. I had a very niche role in my first three years at IU. Come off the bench. The rest of the team is tired. Everyone else in the other team is tired. You're not. Come in, make an impact. Everything's great. Go home. Then it was like, oh, you're now going to be focused on. Like, they're going to scout for your tendency. They're going to game plan. Truthfully, I am not a good enough player to have that much responsibility at that level. Like, the other guys who were scoring 15, 20 points a game in the Big Ten were significantly better basketball players than I was. But I was just really, really good at my previous role. And I think everyone, including IU fans and myself, thought that it's just going to be like, it's just a numbers game. Like now he's going to play 30 minutes. Right. It's, just gonna be, it's just going to be like automatically making more threes. It's like, yeah. actually, if you look at my percentages of points and everything up my whole time at IU, like it's very simple. Like I don't really get that much better at like anything. I'm just like good at doing what I do, you know? Right. So I think after like the first five or 10 games of the season, I was kind of shit like this is not that easy and it's going to be a long year for all of us because our team wasn't good right but but before we we get into that you did have an opportunity that summer yeah to not just represent Indiana University but the United States yeah. can you tell us a little bit how how you got on the team and what that experience was like because that is a really unique special thing not a yeah. lot of Indiana players have only ever 10 there. including Yogi and Will it's only 10 in the history of Indiana University yeah it was a huge honor man like I got the USA like Nike USA basketball jersey and I was like holy shit like this is so much bigger than myself you know like it was really cool because as a young kid you always want to play on a team like that you know like just anything like yeah it was really cool so they fly you out to um there's like a big tryout so you got invited um which was a tough process even getting into the invite so then you get there and they have all these great players that are like all going to be most of them are going to be in the nba right and they there's like 150 i don't know, I can't remember, say 100 of us trying out for this roster and they fly to colorado springs where like the real olympic shit's going on it's like the olympic village USA basketball, baby. Yeah, it's crazy. You're like rubbing elbows. I remember like Michael Phelps was like in the pool, like swimming like next to us, you know? Like it was crazy. Like we were with these people that you see on TV. Like the Olympics is a real, real big organization. So much, it's so cool. So we're there, we're practicing, doing our thing. And I was playing pretty well, you know, doing my thing though. I wasn't like, you know, I was just like, and I think they saw, hey, we might need a guy on the team like this to throw in, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes here and there, get some rebounds, do his thing, like whatever. And I didn't start on that team. I don't think I ever did. Um, and I just kind of did what I did at IU. I just brought like that level of just like, cause it's summer ball. A lot of those guys, they're so good. They don't like really bring the effort all the time. You know, they just rely on their talent. They're like, oh, we need a guy that's not that talented, but like he can like kind of bring us, maybe like connect some dots there. But I think what sealed the deal for me on the team was coach Beeline um, was coaching the team. And him and my father are cool. And his son was one of the assistants. Um, and him and I would go out after, after the work day was over. We'd go out and party at night. And he was like, dude, you're, we're going to be doing this like <laughs> the whole summer? Like, if you're on the team, you and I are going to be going out every night for the summer? Like, I'm going to make sure you're on the team. And I think like, <laughs> what was it like playing for Beeline? Oh, Beeline's sweet. 
Beeline's cool. Um, very, very cool dude. My dad and him have a good relationship uh, because he used to be the coach of a small school in upstate New York. And my dad was like a young kid, high school player. And uh, Coach Beeline would like open the gym for them to go in there and just like play oh, wow. free. Um, so my dad always had like great stuff to say. And Beeline was a super young coach at the time too. So always had cool stuff to say about Beeline. Um, and he was awesome. He was a good coach. Um, I think he would be great at Indiana. I, ho I hope that you know, we passed, we, we passed him up. We had a chance to hire him before when he was at West Virginia, we could have hired him and we didn't. Um, well, I hope, I hope Archie wins uh, 20 national championships. We don't have to talk about this, yeah. but you know, chances are it's not going to happen. Chances are they're going to find a new coach at Indiana in the next 10 years. And if Beeline still can play and coach and do it, I think he'd be a great fit. I think he's a, he's a good, he, he essentially changed the game of basketball in a way of having this, four out one in kind of thing and the yeah. screening rolling being a rim protector and like he just yeah I love the way they, the pace and space and the flooring I love one of the things I've heard about Beeline when it comes to when he was at Michigan and I don't know if this would apply to like the all-star kind of Olympic thing is that he is so precise in fundamentals yeah. that they really work on like at, at the division one level he's spending time in every practice on how to pass the ball yeah. Uh, did you get any sense of that in practices with him? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Crean actually does a lot of that, too, to be honest. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah. I think the best coaches do that. They, like, kind of break it down because you can't really skip over those things. Um, but, yeah, very, very basic stuff. But um, I think, like, the difference between – because I haven't played for that many coaches. So, I would say, like, the difference between Crean and Beeline was, like, Beeline, I think, was more focused on, like, the individual skills getting better, and Cream was more of, like, the individual competitiveness getting better. Where it was, like, uh, Cream was going to build your skills based on you just being a dog, but, like, Beeline wanted you to, like, build your skills and then get better. Where it was, like, they kind of were doing the same thing, but different sides. That's really interesting. Really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about when you did go up against the international competition, yeah. what were some of the differences in, in just the way they played the game that maybe – helped you get a little sneak preview on yeah. on your coming professional career overseas yeah i mean they're grown men like we thought we were going to just run through all of them and we didn't even well we even meddled um and like these dudes so that was another thing that's kind of bs about the world uh, university games is they changed it now but before you didn't have to be like an amateur like you right. could be a full-on professional basketball player so like we'd be playing in a world university game and the dude is like a 30 year old russian and like I'm, I'm 20 or right, 21, and like he's just a grown ass man. And so like the physicality, and like they're also like the older you get, the more skilled you get too. So like they, you might lose athleticism, but you're just like I'm like just like LeBron. He's so much more skilled than he was before. So you could argue like LeBron's a better player now than he was 10 years ago. You know, so like those guys are just better, and like they were bigger and stronger. And I remember being like, oh, like when I go play overseas, this is not going to be that easy. Well. You did tear it up, though. I mean, you may not have started. You, of course, like you did at Indiana, you scored 10.6 points a game in only 17 minutes a game. You shot 58.7% from the field. And do you know what your three-point percentage was? I mean, the way that you're, like, hyping that up means it was way higher than what I should say. It was 63.6%. So IU, IU fans saw that small sample size and, like, this is what we're getting for well. Yeah, 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 man. <laughs> So now you're into uh, your senior year. It yeah. is really your team and Yogi's team to, to a certain degree because he's yeah. got the ball in his hands. Yeah. And the team just, I mean, it is a totally different team. And I was just glancing 
six key players on that team your senior year, six, don't finish their career at Indiana. Yeah. I mean, now I'm, I'm counting Noah Vonley in that because it was a one and done, but clearly Noah was just coming to Indiana to get to the NBA. Yeah. And then you had Hanner and Devin Davis and Austin Etherington who ended up transferring yeah. and Jeremy Hollowell. I mean, you had a team that wasn't an Indiana team. I mean, they, I mean, it, what, how hard was that for you after you just had this group of guys that were so close? You talked about it earlier that, Part of being a good team is that the guys like each other and party together. I can't imagine this team is partying together. That was the worst year of my life. Really? Yeah, I hated it. I was like full on depressed. And how did, when did you know, Will, that it, that, oh shit, something's wrong? Like day one. Really? Yeah, I mean, like the team just like, it was just different people. They, you know, there's just so many. Another thing is like, so usually, which I, I challenge coaches um, to not do this, but you kind of have to. Like, if you you get six or seven new freshmen on the team, they are their own team. Like, you just like Vic and I were close because we were freshmen. Like, freshmen have their own bond because they're all new and they're going through the same experiences together. Where like the older group is their own class of people too. What happens is if you get one freshman, two freshmen, three freshmen to come in, then you can integrate them slowly. And then eventually it's like, oh, we're, 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 we want to be on your team and we're getting there. We're, we're, we're by ourselves. But you bring six or seven, wherever it was, freshmen at the same time, they're like, they create like a, like, no, this is, we're actually the team. And you guys have to like come conform to us. Mm-hmm. And we were like, no, you got it. This is the way it works. And they're like, well, why? There's more of us. There's more of us than our abuse. Why would we do it you way? You do it our way. And like, that's where the big riff was. Like when I got to Indiana, I was one of two freshmen. And it was like, everyone was like, this is the way you do it. And I was like, oh, okay. But before it was like they were they they were smart and they were like no like actually this is our team like we can kind of do what we want. But you didn't have anybody with you. It was just you really as the senior on that team. Yeah. And 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 and, and, and also it became a team. You know, uh, you had some talent in that Yogi obviously is an NBA player. You were a great college basketball player. Noah Vonley had as much talent as anybody who has played at Indiana University. But yeah. it just – and then you had a group of players, truthfully, I mean, just to speak bluntly, who should have never been at Indiana University in the first place. They didn't yeah. give a shit, you know, and, and history proves out that, you know, they, they, they bungled the opportunity that they had time and time again and were finally removed from the team. Um, did you try as a senior to corral it at all, or was it just a lost cause from the beginning? I mean, I tried, but it's not really my personality to, like, hold everyone's hand you know like right, right. I was kind of just like guys like like sack up like what are we doing here you know like I remember like going to practice and crying like full-on like I was like cr- like full-on like guys this is how real it is I am crying I don't know what else to do I literally don't know what else to do like be like fail drug test miss class fail drug test miss class like and then cream would be like will what are you doing I'm like I, I can't do anything else like, I'm doing the best I can like, I, I genuinely don't know what else to do and it'd be like so much stuff that you guys don't even know about, man. Like so much stuff behind the scenes where it was like major issues of like police with them. It was terrible, terrible. And it was always like, like you think they're you think they're gonna listen to me about throwing a left hand bounce pass if like not listen to me about like you know being a lawful citizen? <laughs> you know, like right, right. It was just like a, just a um, and like those guys honestly like once they got older they're actually like, good people. It was just like. It was too much too quick. There was too many of them at a young age 
and like you're really popular on campus and like it's just different it's just different it's just a different vibe and if there were six of me it would have been the same thing if there were six me coming in at iu i would have had the same mentality of like nope this is our show like blah 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 so i don't even blame them to be honest i really don't like it's just it is what it is there's a bunch of misfits together like a bunch of guys like me like yeah i'm not i wasn't the, the person to to navigate that shit what was your relationship I just, I feel, oh, go ahead Ward. well i just feel like one i'm sitting there coming back to campus as a senior and i'm like i miss my friends like i miss my guys that yeah. that we built this thing to you know and now and they're all gone and now there's these these punks coming in telling me what's up but but i do wonder with with coach Crean at that point there was obviously a, a seismic shift in the fan base's perspective on on like hey this guy's brought us all the way back like it was amazing it was such a a a whiplash effect of this guy has brought us back we're number one in the country for most of the season oh my god the wheels fell off they shit the bed and this guy's never going to make it when you when you were inside of that and you knew that was kind of a doomed season did you start to develop an opinion that that coach was also a dead man walking as far as the program? Oh, he felt it too. Like, I know he felt it. We all felt it. Like we, like, I, yeah, for sure. He did for sure. He knew it. Like he maybe wouldn't express it to me, but I could definitely tell that was a vibe. Like, you know, everyone knows that that season was just a mess and we're supposed to be a top 20 team. And like, it's supposed to be like, you know, you kind of keep the momentum going. No one was expecting that team to win the national championship, but they were expecting to play the tournament. Um, So it was like, you know, it was, yeah, so there's that. But then also I'll say, like, a lot of the guys from that team transferred. But there are some guys from that team that actually went on to win a Big Ten championship, if not the following year or two years later. Right. So those guys weren't bad basketball players. I'm not saying that. It's just, like, at the time they were as freshmen, you're not as good as you are as a junior or as a senior. And also it was, like, it was just a cultural, like, shock, I think, for them to be that popular campus at that young age. And, like, they had a lot of say. And I just think that like it just was the wrong timing for everything for me being a senior because I'm not the type of leader of to to do that. Those guys being a lot, and it was just this perfect shitstorm that happened. I also because I don't care about saying it, they weren't my teammates, but there were a couple players on that team that should have never been on the fucking team. Yeah. I mean, period. I mean, like I went and watched Hannah Musk Perea play a high school game at Bloomington South. I called Ward after watching. This was after Indiana had gotten him or we were recruiting him and he was a top 20 guy. I went and watched him. I called Ward and said, the guy can't play basketball. (laughs) I mean, I watched him in a layup line. He couldn't play basketball. He could jump. He could jump, but he couldn't play. For the record, Eric also told me that Thomas Bryant was never going to make it in the pros. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I, I actually um, thought I actually thought similarly, by the way, um, about Thomas Bryant as well. I saw him in college. I was like, this guy's a crazy good college player. I loved his yeah. energy. I loved everything about Thomas Bryant. Like he's a he was an awesome player to watch. And I think that was part of the reason why that team was so good. He was he was just a great guy to watch. We can all agree on that. But I thought the same thing. I was like, can he cut it in the NBA? It shows you like you know. I know. Like, I just never thought he'd be able to match the athleticism. I thought, I thought that the same thing. I thought the same thing. I was wasn't like, a good. Great, he um, didn't have a good body. He didn't yeah. seem to have quick feet. Yeah. I just I'm totally wrong. I couldn't I be happier that. that I was wrong. But, I uh, said this. I said the same thing to my friends. I was like, I don't see it. Uh, yeah, like you might as well go back to college, stay as long as you can, be like, feel like a Tyler Hansbrough. That's like that's right. how good he was a college player. Like be that guy. 
but man, I was wrong. Like he's an incredible pro and like, yeah. Back to your team. And I could be totally wrong here, but I'm going to just say a couple of things. Peter Jerkin is only on the team because Cream thought he could get Henner Masparea with him. I mean, I don't honestly, honestly, I don't know like the ins and outs of recruiting. It was just like, oh, guy shows up, he's a new guy on the team. Right. But like, probably. I mean, that's right. how it works, right? Like, and Austin Etherington, who is a great guy, who I who who embodies a lot of what you want at Indiana, wasn't good enough to play at Indiana, and he was on the team in large part because coach thought it could help get Cody. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like Cody and Cody and Austin are like best friends. Yeah, yeah, great. And by the way, Austin's yeah. a great dude. And Austin, yeah, Austin's a great but dude. When you have then multiple guys on a basketball team who really shouldn't be there, yeah, it just doesn't foster a good team, and it just didn't fit together. But I do want to go back. Well, you said that this was the worst year of your life. You even used the word depressed. Were yeah. you, I mean, are you using that colloquially or did you actually enter into a depression that you had to like talk to somebody about? Oh, full. I didn't talk to anyone about it, but I was full on depressed. Yeah. I didn't know what really? depression was until then. Like, of like, like just like not feeling well all the time, feeling tired and weak and just like not like happy. Like, yeah. Like, like I did a lot of drinking. Like I just like was not, I was you, how'd you claw your way out of it? Did you have anybody you could rely on? Anybody you could talk to? I mean, I have great friends like Austin and Jeff Howard, the guys I lived with. Like, we had a great time. They did the same thing to me, which was like that I would do to other players. Like, dude, don't worry about it. Like, you live a great life. You're an Indiana basketball player. Like, okay, you're having a bad year. We're having a bad season. Everyone hates us. Who cares? Like, it's not a big deal. They're going to remember you for the good games, for the Jordan Holes, CY years. I'm not going to remember this bad year, you know? Uh, but it was tough, man. It was definitely tough. I, I And, like, I let everything compound itself on top of it. And, like, the fact that, like, I didn't like my teammates. Uh, we were, I wasn't playing well. The team wasn't playing well. It was just like, I hated it. I hated it. Wow. Did you um, build, I know you talked about how you had a lot of injuries and a bit fragile. Yeah. One of the guys that we've talked to former players about, including Calvert, that is kind of a glue guy with Indiana is Tim Garl. Yeah. Uh, did you develop a relationship with Tim that went like beyond just trainer player? Yeah. Tim and I, Tim and I go to uh, French Lick and gamble all the time. That's great. <laughs> he, he, he's a huge craps guy. He taught me how to play craps. <laughs> oh, the best odds, yeah. the most fun. Like, I feel like craps is the game where you're – it's the only uh, game on the floor where you're, generally speaking, all on the same team and cheering for each other. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was great. Tim, Tim, Tim's a great guy. He's – obviously, he's been there forever. Every coach is like, yeah, we're going to keep you, dude. You're, you're the man. So, But you kept, you kept what you were going through emotionally even from, like, a Tim. Oh, yeah, because I didn't know who to talk to, how to talk about it. You know, I wasn't right. comfortable myself with my own, like, you know, masculinity of, like, sure. I'm, like I'm, I'm a tough dude, you know? Like, I'm going, I, but, like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, I was treating people like, like, crap, my teammates like crap, so I just, like, didn't know how to deal with my own depression. Wow. Well, and I think that's, that's part of the issue with depression. It's, part of it is you have trouble communicating. Yeah, 100%. And, and it just kind of compounds on itself, but as, as you're realizing this is kind of a lost season, are are you is a light at the end of the tunnel? The idea of a career overseas is that something you're starting to to think about and and figure out how you're going to make that transition? Yeah, I mean, I thought like maybe I could scrap my way in the NBA, like be like a second round pick, get on a team, like somehow like a base level like practice team kind of guy. Um, just like maybe they would forget about how bad my previous year was. <laughs> Yeah, because I actually had, like, uh, some pretty good interest from the NBA the previous year. So I think if I would have left after my junior year, 
I could have possibly had a shot of being drafted compared to wow. um, just based on like, you know, the run of everything in the tournament and like, you know, my numbers were better and whatever. There was like, it was like, well, what if this guy played 30 minutes? You know, it's kind of like that whole thing. Right. You've seen guys get drafted with not great stats because they're like, oh, but his per 40s are good, blah, blah, blah. So there was a little bit of that going on. But so I thought maybe I could scrap my way in somehow, maybe get like, you know, a minor league contract or whatever. Um, but then once I realized after summer league that wasn't going to happen, then it was like, okay, like, now I can focus on like my next, like, am I going to keep playing? So I'm doing. So, yeah. uh, and are you one of these guys who thinks, because I think this is very true for some people we've talked to or that you read about is if you had been in the right circumstances, do you, do you think your game could have developed if you'd gone to the right team with the right players around you that you could have found a role in the NBA based on the athleticism and the skill you had, or now looking back at it where you're like, no, I just don't, don't think there would have been a fit for me anywhere. I think if I were to work on different things in college because I knew that in college to be a good college basketball player I had to bring like xyz to the table and those necessarily usually correlate with your pro performance as well but like for IU in general like to be the best player I could for the Indiana team was different than me being the best player that I could be for a future NBA team so I think I could have worked harder and more focused on certain areas of my game and like less about like being the best athlete and like killing it in the weight room and maybe be a better shooter ball handler and things like that like i definitely focused more on my time than like being like a badass and i should have focused more on like being a better basketball player hmm. so it's like you know some guys would give like 50 percent in the weight room and then go and like do work after practice on shooting and stuff but it was like i would give 100 percent, and then it was like i didn't want to do anything after practice i'm like i'm done like, I, I right you didn't have anything else to give yeah, i'm bleeding like i'm bleeding like i'm tired like my hamstrings pulled like what, what am i gonna do you know so I think I could have focused more on just like becoming a better player and probably taking it easy, like a little easier on myself. But yeah, I mean, everyone's hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like, I think uh, everyone thinks that they could play somewhere. Uh, one of the things we haven't talked about at all is something we should, which is beyond the offensive side and the hustle, you're one of the best defensive players to ever play at Indiana University. You could guard one, You, I don't know if you could guard, but Cream made you guard one through five. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I remember even as a freshman, you were guarding fives at times, and yeah. which probably was not fair, truthfully, to you. And, and, and honestly, your development, because you had to just get the shit kicked out of you doing that. But you clearly took a pride in your defense the way that very few people do, because uh, most people, I think, take a break on defense. And that's why it's so hard to find those guys who are dogs on defense. What did being a good defensive player mean to you? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I just took a lot of pride in it just because it was one of the things that, could, that I was good at, right? Like, you always want to do the things that you're good at. Like, like Jordan is a terrible defensive player. <laughs> He's not going to, like, put a lot of effort into it because it's like, oh, how good can I really get, you know? And right, like, right. So I was like, oh, I could be, like, an elite defender if I just, like, focus on defense. So, yeah, I would spend a little bit more time than the average person on, like, scouting reports and stuff. But to be honest with you, it's just, like, I was a good athlete. So I knew, like – based on like angles and effort and like being in the right place at the right time. And like, I could be a good defender. Vic was infinitely a better defender than I was, but I could just like, I think by playing with him and stuff too, helped me become a better defender. Right. Well, look, you, you kind of shit on yourself a little bit about your senior year. You do again, increase your points and rebounds. You ended up averaging 11 and a half points a game, four rebounds a game and 
some incredible performances. I mean, not to mention what you did in Madison Square Garden. Got to be one of the coolest places to play. You go in there, you turn in games of 16 and 5 against Washington, 12, 5 and 3 against UConn, both in Madison Square Garden. How cool was it to play in the garden and show out a little bit? Yeah, the garden's cool, man. It's, it's unlike any other place. It's like a theater. The lights are at like a different angle. Like you're in New York City, the vibe. I live in New York City now, so like I love it there. Like it's just like this energy about the city. Um, you know, you can play there, you can play anywhere kind of feeling, you know, like it's definitely a cool, it was definitely a cool thing. I had a lot of family in New York too. Like my, my dad's side of the family is all from New York. So I had a lot of family at the game. It was sweet, man. Playing, playing in those games, like colleges should do more of that. Um, I know it's not as great for the fans because they don't get those home games, but for a player to play on, like, I wish I could have played the Boston Garden. Like I still right. never been there and like what a cool floor, like the parking flooring or whatever, like so far it's so amazing like and like bird play there and you know it's like you want like as a player you want to be able to play on this court so definitely cool opportunity and happy we did it well and how about the game against iowa you went off for 30 yeah. is that is that just is that just as fun as it gets oh, as, as yeah and i and, and like my teammates were so happy for me too because they knew how much of a shitty season i was having and like how i was like down on myself so like you can actually see it like i i mean i I know this because I play, but like my production and like toward the end of the season, I started getting my confidence and I was totally. like, well, I can actually play. Like, I'm actually not that bad. And toward the end of the season, I started being like, you know what? Hey, like might as well go down swinging. I'm just going to start firing up shots. Like, I don't care if I miss or not. And like my confidence and things start rolling. Like the back half of the season, I probably averaged like 15 a game or the right. first half of the season, I averaged like five a game. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, and by the way, not to mention again against Purdue, you score 10 points, but you score and cross the 1,000-point threshold at Indiana against Purdue. Very cool. Very cool to do that against Purdue. 30 against Iowa. 19-6 and six against Ohio State. 17 against Michigan. 13-5 and five against Illinois in the, in the Big Ten tournament. And then I think 22-4, uh, 22 and four, I think, was your last game as a Hoosier. 22-4. and four, Double figures in nine of your last 10 games. As a team, this, this season did not end the way anybody wanted it to. But what you did personally at Indiana over your four years, and there is a special place for four-year players at Indiana, obviously. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Especially now. But, I mean, Will, you, you are in an elite group of players that includes people like – I mean, I would put people like Tom Coverdale in this group. I don't know if you ever got to meet Cove. Yeah. But there are a very small group of players that played four years for Indiana – that fans just wrap their arms around and say, this is our guy. This is what we want Indiana to be about. And what they, and this is how you know you are that guy. Because when recruiting happens or when a bad season happens, which Indiana has had plenty of lately, you go to the message boards or on Twitter and you see this. We need a goddamn Will Sheehy on this team. And that is what they do. It's you, it's Coverdale. Jordy gets it some as well, but you are in that group. When you finished your four years and you looked back, did you have a sense of what you meant to us as fans? No, man, it's really nice of you to hear, to hear that from you guys, for sure. Like, you know, players definitely want to be fan favorites. We definitely want to feel like, you know, our work that we did and the way that we played in the style and we rub people the right way. And, like, it's very nice of you to say that. And I, I definitely feel that sometimes. People stop me. Like, if I go back to Bloomington and visit, people always stop me. They're like, you know, hey, what you did against this team or, you know, how you played against that. Or people love talking about, like, flex on Purdue. They love that. Like, the way you pretty much just, like, stuck it to Purdue, it's awesome for us. And so, like, I'm happy I could provide, you know, some happiness for people. 
you did, man, over and again, and, and in memories of thinking about the way you played, you left a legacy. What, what's more important? I mean, championships are great, obviously. Hanging banners are great. But you yeah. left a legacy that, that people still talk about. You know, almost a decade later now, people yeah. remember very fondly the way you played and want that back in Indiana. And it feels like that's what we have been missing in large part. That and a whole lot of talent. And then there's, there's just, you know, we, and we brought it up on the reunion podcast of you guys being the last great Indiana team. And there's just so many teams that were the top ranked team uh, for the majority of a season, but because of injuries, even other Indiana teams, injuries, luck of the draw on the tournament, they, they don't, they don't end up making the final four winning it all. And so I, I don't think, you know, especially with your senior year being such a bummer after the rise of those first three years, I think you need to know that in the minds of Indiana and, and, and heart of Indiana fans, you were a part that brought us out of the abyss, brought us back to the very top. And it sucks the way, you know, it didn't work out your junior yeah. year. But the senior year, I think a lot of people were just like, already at that point, everybody had moved on to like, okay, who's our next coach? Yeah. So, so where you live in the hearts and minds of Indiana fans is somebody who gave their all and got us back to where we feel it's our birthright to be. And honestly, we haven't gotten back there since. We're optimistic. We think things can go in the right way. But yeah, but yeah for somebody who isn't on the message boards every day like we are, yeah. we maybe don't realize that you don't understand how special of a place you have in, in everybody's mind who's been watching Indiana for even just, you know, the last 10 or 20 years. It's, it's something we still hold on to right now of like, look, no, we were, we were, we were pretty awesome. Not too long ago. Yeah. So we can, we can get back there again. You've, you've given us this bridge that allows us to keep believing. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks, so, so th that's really nice. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, that spirit. Oh, go ahead. Will. go ahead. No, no. Yeah. We, we, as, we, as players, like love to hear that. You always want to be, you know, someone that the fans uh, have adored and like, you know, it's, it makes all of us happy. Wad, myself, all that. We love that team. Everyone loves that team. Uh, it's it's great. I get to still be on a cool podcast like yours, guys, and like talk to you guys about this team and people actually listen to it. Podcast actually sucks, but I'm just trying to be nice. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's cool. It's it's great. It's it's great. You know? And like eventually people will forget, you know, but at, at, in time there'll be a new Indian team that hopefully will bring the same amount of joy to me and possibly my kids and everything. And we watch and they'll win a national championship. There you go. Uh, in that spirit, because we knew we were coming on with you, I put it out on Twitter and on the message boards that we were gonna to talk to you and did people have any questions for you? So I have a couple fan questions. Uh, no, none of them are more inappropriate than anything we asked. So don't oh, okay. worry. All right, all right. Uh, I, the, the, fan, the fans definitely have a perception of, at least I know when I was in college, they had a perception of Well, that. here's one from Stephen Williams who wants to know, he wants to hear you tell the story of the paper bat that you found under the bench at Mackey. Do you know this? I mean, I know you told us a story about the bat that Cream well, used. Well, the bat, the a bat. You said paper bag or bat? You know, paper bat, paper bat. But he says it was under the bench at Mackey Arena and you waved it at a Purdue student section your junior year. I mean, probably. I don't remember, man. I would just, <laughs> I, I would just black out in those situations. I would just be so into it. Yeah, I mean, no, Cream, I you guys have heard the bat story, right? So Cream wanted us to play like bats. We've had bats and like, it was like, I like to take everything as a personal challenge. So I was like, I'm going to show Cream exactly how much of a bat I can be in my own brain, whatever that meant. And so after the game was over, we smacked him. And I was like, 
is this bad enough for you? Like, so I'm like bat, 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 crazy, everything bat. Like, oh, I'm sure I, I love it. Inappropriate. Um, here's another one. Uh, what do you think is the big, this one is from Hoosier Fanatic. What do you think is the biggest struggle that fans in America don't know about U.S. players going to play professionally internationally? Oh, that's a cool question. Um, honestly, like this, it's not, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> 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 like you get to go, at least for me, it was like, yeah, you, you leave your friends and family, but like I did that already going to college. So I mean, there's that, there's that for those people. But if you're kind of on your own little wolf, like I am, um, it was sweet, man. You go eat great food, meet cool people. You get to play basketball, you get paid for it. Like it doesn't get better. Uh, well, and I, I have to imagine just following up on that, when you're no longer under the microscope yeah. of Indiana University basketball, you get a, to just like enjoy your life a little bit more again yeah. on and off the court. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But also it is slightly depressing not, not, as jokingly, not like actually, but it's, it's slightly yeah, um, underwhelming when you go to play in these arenas and stuff. And like, you know, you're coming from assembly hall wearing like brand new white Adidas sneakers and like, you look great. And like your jerseys are kind of shitty and like, the arena sucks and the locker room is like high school gym and like, yeah, you're getting paid. And like, there's a couple thousand people there, but it's just like, not that same, like, you know, it's not as buttoned up, I guess. And, um, which is cool. It's good and bad. You know, you get used to it. But my first couple of years, I was kind of like, what am I doing? Like I used to be on you look at me now. You know? So I think, um, once you get used to it, you're like, this is my life. You get to enjoy it. Uh, here's one that we will cut out if you do not remember this because all right, I see this is recording, so yeah. it seems very specific. This one, uh, and I think the guy's having fun with it, but this is from Dub's Dream on uh, Pigs. Wants to know what was your favorite part about your chance meeting with the old Hoosier fan outside the Publix in Brad Bradenton, Florida, a few years back when you were visiting your uncle? I do remember that. I remember oh, yeah? that. Nice, yeah. Dub's dream. You got it. Nice. Shout out to that guy. Yeah, I was visiting my uncle down there in Florida, and I remember um, he like stopped me. He was like, "Are you Will?" And I thought maybe he was like, one of my uncle's friends or something, or maybe I was wearing a Hoosier shirt or something. I don't can't remember. But yeah, we we chopped it up. Good guy. Yeah, very. There you go. <laughs> uh, here's a fun quote that that this guy is attributing to you that just shows how funny you are and the quickness. Apparently, when you played New Mexico State in the NCAA tournament. Yes. Somebody said that there was no human on earth that could guard him. Yeah. And then apparently Vic guarded him and shut him down. And there's a quote attributed to you, asked you about it, where do you remember what your response was? I was must have been like, oh, what alien was playing today? Like, yeah, so, you, you said Vic's not human. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. And then after, the dude was a crazy good player too. And then after I said that, so in the NCAA tournament, you're, you're all like kind of close together where if you're playing at Mackey, like they kind of separate slockers of either side and they don't have press conferences like at the same time because like guys would fight, you know? But right. then the tournament, <laughs> like you kind of are on top of each other. So you like pass by the team in the locker room, like you pass by the media or whatever. And so like we're giving our interview because the winning team gives interviews first, right? So they, they're interviewing us and the guy is like, reads me this quote and he's like, this is what this guy said. What do you think about it? And I said it like very like, like, you know, sarcastic asshole comment. And the guy who I said it about is like behind this the door, right? And he can hear it. And so we like pass by him and he's like, he's like, I heard what you said. And he's like, when I'm done, when I'm done with this interview, I'm gonna come beat your ass. And I was like, 
this dude is huge. Like he, like he is beating my ass. So I was like, I like go back to locker room. Like guys, we might have a problem. Like I, I need backup. Like this guy's gonna beat my ass. Or he was like, he was like, I know what hotel you guys are staying at. I was like, oh shit, like <laughs> we got a problem. Uh, flat, flat flashbacks to losing your tooth on a Florida. Exactly, playground. exactly. As you can see, I'm not a great fighter. I just get into a lot of them. Uh, here's one. Do you remember this one is from J.D. Gebby on Pigs. Do you remember anything about your next door neighbors your junior year? Where'd you live your junior year? Yeah, I remember, I remember them. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> Some fun parties, maybe, that they were involved in? Yeah, yeah we had fun. <laughs> well, uh, all right. we, might, we might have to cut the recording for that one. Yeah, all right. Well, look, we, we always have to ask this of anybody that spent time in Bloomington, and you were there four years. Yep. So, Ward and I will go back and forth. All right. What's your favorite pizza place in Bloomington? Avers. We got, Ward, we got to try Avers next time. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it's still there. I don't know where it is or what it looks like. Yeah, where uh, is there's it? There's one by the by the five guys over there by College Mall in that little plaza. There's, okay. there's okay. also another one on the other side of town. I don't really remember where it is. But, yeah, you can get delivered, though. All right. Okay, now this may be like Sophie's choice. Yep. Favorite bar. Favorite bar, the vid. Nice. We just yeah. spent some time there our last time back, didn't we, Ward? Yeah, with the goons. With the goons. We've, got, we've got these great dudes from New York. There's four of them, and we call the goons. When the, the world returns to a certain level of normalcy, you got to go hit the town with these oh, guys. Yeah. Oh, we'll, yeah, we, we should hook you up with them with COVID, yeah. for sure. You guys Good. will have a blast. Um, favorite restaurant, not counting pizza? Uh, oh, good call. Um, I think Buffalo's. I got I to go Buffalo's. Yes. That's the wing, wings are, I'm not, I'm not just saying this. I think those wings are the best wings I've ever had. I, I've eaten wings everywhere. I haven't been to Buffalo. I haven't been to Buffalo, so I can't say the wings are better, which they probably are. But out of anywhere else I've eaten, Buffalo's wings are that good. I would um, 100% agree with you. We would have accepted Little Zagreb's as an answer also. Good, a little overrated, to be honest. Whoa! Oh, that hurts my heart. That hurts. Lighten words. Because, okay, the atmosphere, you take a recruit there, you get a nice big old fat steak, the spicy meatballs, all of that. Really good. It's all about the ambiance there. We're talking about straight food, though. It's not my favorite. And as a college kid, you can't afford it. Well, that, that part is absolutely true. I, I never went there in college. Right? <laughs> so it's like, I can't, I can't have that same love for it. Buffalo's is just on a different level. I mean, okay. just a different level. Um, Ward, got another one? Um, least favorite class. Oh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do a lot of that. Can't be. I can't lie to you guys. There wasn't a lot of classes going on. When I was who, who on that team, though, went to class the least? Me or Watt, for sure. <laughs> Me or Watt, for sure. Now, here's a question for you. Uh, Cody and Jordy both are just known to be, like, straight-laced, yeah. down the middle, good Good God boring. 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 Okay, fine. <laughs> but they but it but they're that could easily have gone the other way too, where those guys are not part of your group, but they clearly were. So yeah. were you able to get both of them to loosen up some uh, against the image that we know them by? Not to be honest, it was like a it was a struggle because like uh one year <laughs> Derek Jordan and I lived together and Derek and I like 
And so you can get that vibe from Derek. He likes to party. Oh, yeah. We would party, you know. You know Derek, right? You, yeah, you yeah. know yeah, we, yeah, D- Derek. Yeah. Derek's still expanding his horizons to this. Day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Derek and I, you know, we'd we'd always have a good time, like go out and do our thing. And so Jordan was our roommate, so we'd always, always, always invite this man out every single time we go do something. And he was and like power to Jordan because we peer pressured the living shit out of him, and he never, he never, never. He'd go out, he'd hang out, you know, never drink, never smoke, always just like super chill guy like he was man he yeah he's just super straight he's loosened up now though as an adult he's got some kids so he needs he needs, needs a couple beverages he needs an escape <laughs> he needs an escape I, and he's in germany he's surrounded by the greatest beer in the world I, let's go and and that's another thing too i like to talk about is like you know the less the less that you put this emphasis on like you know drinking and partying having a good time is bad the less guys will do it like honestly like it was such a bubble for us that was like we wanted to just like do it because it was like you know Whereas like in Germany, it's like, you know, drinking a beer after a nice workout or your game. Like you do that in a locker room, people don't even understand. Like, like drinking is like a big social thing in Europe where it's like someone's birthday, like we'd all have beers in the locker room after practice. Like coaches, players, like we're all like having a good time. Like are we getting wasted? Like no, but we're having nice casual drinks. Like we're not making a thing. Like would that ever happen in, 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 a, in a, like a professional setting or college setting in, in basketball in the United States? No way. Which right. like, it's kind of, it kind of almost, I don't know, it kind of creates like a weird thing for, for people, but. Yeah. Uh, this puts you on the spot a little bit, but what is the funniest thing you remember from happening in your four years at Indiana? It could be basketball related, non-basketball. Is there one story that you think back on that just gets you laughing every time? Yeah, yeah, not not for the podcast though. Oh uh, come on! <laughs> yeah, but there is one. There is one. Uh, well, yeah. then give us number two. We'll, we'll take that off yeah. here. <laughs> um, um, By the way, another. I wasn't going to ask this, but now since you won't give me that answer, I am going to ask this. Somebody said there was a crazy rumor that you punched cream. Punched cream. I don't know. I don't think why so. Do you, what are you? Why are you thinking about it? <laughs> I mean, it depends. Like, there's a lot around that, right? Like, did I just like we were arguing and I punched him? No. Was it like, you know, Cream liked to show everyone how tough he was too, so he would be like, punch me. I'd be like, all right. Like, I'm not gonna say that didn't happen. I'm not gonna say that Cream wasn't like punch me as hard as you like in practice. Be like, punch me as hard as you can. Like, not in the face. I'm sure, probably. I, I never punched him in the face, but he could have been like, yeah, no. Punch me right here as hard as you can. And like, I, I don't know. Like, maybe I punched him. I don't. So, but, but, but you no. have a you have a real memory of the basketball coach for Indiana saying punch me as hard as you can. Oh, he he would always say stuff like that for sure, like <laughs> for sure. He, he one time he yeah. That's he, lunacy. That's lunacy. Wait, go ahead. You were gonna say something. One time, what? Yeah, he was like he's a tough dude, man. And like we would have some days where like you got to get the best of each other, and like um, yeah, he. I, can't say I can't but like we would like uh wait, wait, no 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 you come on keep it 100 you got to give us something there yeah he would like he would challenge guys you know and it would be like you know he'd be like you think you beat me in a fight like come on let's go you know like so he wasn't By the way he, he couldn't beat anyone in a fight the confidence key so will listen man uh you know this because we've talked a few times and i've said it a few times and so has ward you are absolutely one of my favorite all-time basketball players at Indiana University. 
for what you did on the court, for how you carried yourself, the way you played the game, the intensity you played with. That is the legacy that you have left at Indiana. It is, uh, no one can take that away from you. You accomplished great things at Indiana. And I'm telling you, man, you're in that group of people where people say, we need Will Sheehy on this team. And, and I will believe that until I can't watch basketball anymore. We need Will Sheehy's on our team. Not too many of them. One. No. We just need one. Well, uh, but, but you're a winner, man. And we are rooting for you in your post-basketball life as much as we were in your basketball life. Thanks so much for doing what you did for IU and for coming on this podcast. Yeah, really. for sure. Man. I had a blast with you guys. Thanks you guys for doing the NBA 2K stuff in the past and obviously built this great relationship and uh, anything I can do to in the future to help you guys out and, uh, you know, keep your guys' podcast rolling and eventually get you on board of trustees. Um, let's do it. Well, we know wherever the new career takes you, uh, you're going to be a wild success. That competitive nature and your winning personality, it's just so much fun to talk with you. And, and I know whoever you end up working with going forward in, in this new chapter, they're going to have as much fun as we've had talking with you today. Man, you guys are, you guys are nice as hell, man. Sure. <laughs> have you guys around more often? Hysterics. That is just the cool guy. That is such a cool guy. You hear people talk about when they, they vote for president, like, could you see yourself having a beer with a guy? Like, who do you want to have a beer with? I don't drink and I want to have a beer with Will Sheehy. Yeah, I want to smoke a bowl with Will. Okay. Oh, okay, that, that, sure. There we go. That, that's where I'm at. But that's like a top five guy of all, like, we've talked to so many charismatic, fun, funny, interesting, insightful dudes but I got to put him like in a top five. Yeah. The problem is my top five includes 40 people. Yeah, it's true. Don't, don't <laughs> ask me to make that list. Right. But I'm definitely putting him in there. Yeah. He's great. I mean, he's just, he, like he says, he keeps it 100. Keeps it 100. I'm going to use that. I'm going to, I'm going to try to live that. Got to live that. It's about living it. I just love his honesty about his career and, not a joke. It, he is our. He has been our single most requested guest. He, he struck a nerve with the Indiana fan base, especially, you know, as it coincided with our last great team or what should have been the last great team. And people remember him so fondly because of the way that he played the game. It's how we want to see the game played. Balls out. Like what? Well, well, and how often? And we didn't bring it up with him, but how often do we talk about that fu that is often a missing component of truly competitive Indiana teams, or the missing element that prevents them from being truly competitive? And that one guy in there who kind of stirs stirs the pot to get everybody else fired up and focused in a way that you know, if everybody's just being nice, it doesn't really work. I also, I mean, like, man, I, I, we were going to talk to him about Archie a little bit, but just he kind of went for it himself. He's just so kind of bluntly and harshly pragmatic where he's like, yeah, I hope the guy wins 20 championships, but probably won't happen and we'll have to do this all over again. Like, well, you know, I was sort of trying to piece where he's coming from that. And I don't think it was even really a specific oh, it look at Archie. It was just like, you know, 10 years probably because that's, if you're a betting man, yeah, uh, 10 years at, uh, at a major program is, is actually usually a pretty good run. Well, we've also heard this from 
I think Michael Lewis actually maybe off the podcast has said like the idea that guys stick around for 20, 30 years at a school, it's like, that's just from a bygone era. And now it's like you get a good eight to 10 year run where within that you have, if you're lucky and at a place that can, can support it, you get a couple real good national title runs in there. And then things start to fall apart because we're just such a fickle society now that things get hard. We're looking for the next new thing. I think Will's response was much more about just an overall, you know, here's what happens in the game of college basketball these days. But back to Michael's notion of that, I feel like, well, he's at UCLA, obviously uh, has followed closely Indiana and that's true for those schools and a lot of other schools that struggle and don't sustain success. But when you look at UNC and Duke and Kansas and Michigan State and Gonzaga and the programs that we want to be keeping the company of, maybe part of the reason they're staying up near the very top is because those guys have been there a long time. And 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 maybe to that, I think I think he would say that the 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 all of those, by the way, there's no new ones in there. Yo, but but where's the evidence of the guy? who was winning at that level at a major program and then walked away at age 55. Well, we're going to find out because now you're getting these younger guys like the Tony Bennett's of the world, the Jay Wright's of the world. We'll see how long they stick around. That's what I'm saying. It's just you know? theoretical for now. But look, if, if Archie wants to check out at age 55 to a life that's much less stressful after he's hung a couple up, I got, I got no problem with that. Just leave us with a couple. Leave us with a couple. I know. Anyway, the rafters, but back to Sheehy. I mean, I just love the guy and love his honesty, love his story. A unique one coming from South Florida where, you know, outside of Charlie Miller, I can't think of another South Florida guy that Indiana has gotten. And it's kind of funny that we're doing the Charlie Miller and Will Sheehy podcast in back-to-back weeks. Uh, I didn't think about that both from South Florida, the only two real South Florida stars of Indiana over the last probably 30 years. Well, and you think about his senior year, how unique that was in that, what you maybe talking to, to Benny, to Kent Benson about coming in after uh, a great season with a bunch of great players. And then you're left to sort of pick up the pieces and try to keep, you know, I don't think anybody expects that, you know, the 77 team or the 13-14 the team to, to reach the same level. But at the end of the day, a lot of the guys you reach those heights with are gone, and now you have, to, you have to try to be responsible for the next chapter. And, God, what a, what a burden and, and not a particularly fun one it must be. No, and, again, it goes back to what Will was talking about, too, about chemistry. He didn't use the word chemistry, but clearly that's what he was talking about on what separates good teams from bad teams oftentimes. And when he was talking about knowing when to be intense and knowing when to let go and party a little bit, that 2013-14 team had an all-Big Ten talent in Yogi Ferrell who shot 40% from three and could get by anybody. It had a senior in Will Sheehy who could defend anybody best mid-range jumper probably in the league and great intensity. And it had a lottery pick talent in Noah Vonley and then supported by a bunch of other guys that had some talent, many of whom went on to have decent Division I careers, most of them not at Indiana. That team should have been better. I mean, they should have been better. They shouldn't have been a national champion team. They shouldn't have been a Final Four team. 
But should that team have made the NCAA tournament? Probably. Should, could they have won a game or two in the NCAA tournament? Maybe. Once you get well, in. And, and, you, and I think, you know, it's a little bit of a confluence of Cody going after sophomore year, Vic after junior year, plus all these seniors who really kind of were there from the, the, the building days. And why we're looking at this idea of stacking classes now as being so stacking balanced classes balanced, that, yeah. that you, three, four guys who are kind of coming in underneath guys a couple years ahead of them to sort of eventually take those roles over that it is, it's really a key to sustain success year in and year out. God bless. And as long as those recruiting classes every few years have a Will Sheehy in them, I will be very happy because I think we've shown whether it was the 2012 team, like that era that had a will, whether it was the 2002 team that had a Coverdale or a Moye on it, you know, whether it was the 90s teams that had a bunch of dogs on them, you know, in those early years in the 90s, every good Indiana team, every good college basketball team has got a dog on it. And, and Who is we the haven't. Early- who was the early 90s dog? Because I just think of how much talent there was. Well, Chris Reynolds, man. Yeah. That yeah. dude got after it. I mean, that dude got after it. I also think Henderson had a lot of that in him. You know, I don't think that came from Bailey or Cheney. Uh, Graham had played with Graham. an edge. Yeah, Graham was who was I kind of came to mind. But Reynolds, me. man, especially like just defensively. I mean, just such a dog defensively, you know, mm-hmm. and clearly didn't have the offensive talent, but made up for it in, in just his effort. The 80s teams, I wonder who would you say? I mean, the truth is Alfred was played with an edge. Yeah, yeah I think Alfred was the guy in 87. Yeah, um, I mean, emotionally, though, I mean, we learned that Keith Smart really became a vocal leader on that team. Yeah, but but more more to the dog, the edge, like f you, we're gonna win this game. Alfred. Yeah, yeah. Alfred, and clearly Isaiah was that. Isaiah was that, and then you go back to the seventy five, seventy six team. Buckner. Buckner is is an all timer in that regard. But you even think about you know Benny and stuff like that. A a general like hard nosed, like you know we're not we're not. We're not going to lay down for anybody. And even when we have the target on our back, we're still going to take it to you. We're not going to play defense. So, yeah. yeah. We need that. And and Sheehy was that for that team. And by the way, that's not to say anything negative about Vic and Cody and Jordy. And they they all had that intensity. But but Will said you couldn't have two Wills on the same team. That's one. You could. Just one would die. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um. He, he's phenomenal. We've gotten a lot of people that said to interview him. And I'll be honest with you, Will, up until recently, didn't want to do interviews. Like, he's a guy that doesn't have social media. He's not on Twitter. He doesn't feel the need to self-promote. And he's just living his life right now. And he's not somebody who has done a ton of these interviews in the past. He doesn't feel uh, comfortable with traditional media. He always felt like he, he said to us, we didn't talk to him about it on the podcast, but he told me off the podcast that he always felt like there was some different agenda that the media was using when he was at Indiana to get him to give them a quote that would service them and, you know, create some stir. So he always had like kind of a mistrust of them. And he's just a guy that doesn't need it for his own ego. So I, I think that now that basketball is behind him as a, as a vocation, he probably looks back on it and goes, all right, well, 
I had some amazing experiences and, and maybe not a bad thing to relive them and let the fan base kind of enjoy some of them because uh, we clearly enjoy it. Well, and it was interesting that even at the time he knew that that was as good as it gets, you know, yeah. he, he, he didn't seem to dilute himself with the idea of, Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a great NBA player and it just goes up from here. He was like, no, this is as good as it gets. And really, you know, for the first three years, I think took full advantage of that. Maybe some of that was part of what was so depressing as a senior going, wow, that, that was it last year or even the year before. And now I need to figure out where it goes from here. And look, I even remember as a senior that there was a certain amount of like, okay, this has been great, but the party's kind of over real life awaits. What the hell is that going to look like? Right. Fair enough. By the way, the other guy that I failed to mention and I shouldn't have Dane Fife obviously had oh, yeah, the dog yeah, yeah. in him from that 2002 team as well. And, and there's a lot of similarities between the way Fife played and the way that she played the game. Well, and I even think that, that, Will didn't get into it as much, but just the idea of nerves, you know, even at the free throw line, guys who are ultra competitive, but maybe don't have that gift of being able to, to turn off the burning desire. So it actually creates a pressure where you, you don't sink the big free throws unless you bank it against Jay Williams. Right. (laughs) But another great example with Dane, you know, Dane talked about anxiety and how he had to deal with it and how how much it affected him and will opening up and telling us he was clearly depressed and not just using it as like a you know a caricature of depression he thinks he was really depressed and and didn't know how to deal with it and and obviously even 2012-13 there was it's a different world than 2020 where the stigma on that stuff has been kind of washed away and i just love will opening up and kind of sharing with us again that 2013-14 season from a fan's perspective sucked because we weren't good. But then you listen to all that was going on behind the scenes and it just gives you another example of a great perspective on these are human beings going through real world emotion. And there is so much else going on. It gives you such a greater appreciation for what they did do uh, and what they gave to us. Well, and also how the Korean era was was kind of doomed when you, you hear about the kind of behind-the-scenes trouble, which for good reason, Will didn't get into specifics, but when you're talking about failed drug tests, you know, that's... Police. That's police. That's not a culture that can be sustained. And even though Yogi with some other talent was able to pull off another Big Ten championship, the writing was on the wall before before any of that really came to a head no doubt about it well uh love talking to him really glad we got him on the podcast excited to explore other reunions with him in the future um make sure you follow us on twitter at hoosier hysterics for the hysterics no e no i but But the the sometimes sometimes why not bad that seemed like maybe our best zoom one yet From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys.
guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And guys, you probably know by now we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.